start your week brightly and restore your rhythm with Intune Radio, Business with Beats. Hello everybody, Intune Radio, Shropshire Business with Beats. Welcome back. Darren has joined me as ever. Darren, hiya, how you doing? Hiya, hiya, another show, exciting stuff. It is, and it's an action-packed show. This is actually the big show show. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the reason we call it the big show show is that we've got some fabulous uh, interviews coming up and we've prioritised the interviews because, Darren, this is mm. going to be our last podcast, as it were, before we broadcast streaming online 24-7 this summer. I know, I know. I can't believe we've come this far from when we started last year. Um, and yeah. We're going to be doing this. It's just, it's really, really exciting. 24-7. Never thought I'd be saying that. It's like a proper radio station and everything. And (laughs) um, we're working with like the tuners, as we call them, on new shows. And we've got a new show coming up. We'll we'll mention that slightly in in a second. And there's lots going on with volunteers that are coming on board with Intune Radio because, of course, we're a community interest company. And we prioritise charity, business and community. And the community is getting involved uh, a huge amount as well uh, and letting us know what's going on and what's important to them. And there are things like that that we want to uh, mention as the show progresses. Absolutely, absolutely. And and also, I was going to add that it isn't just going to be us 24-7. People will be glad to know they don't have to listen to me and Wayne for 24-7. Oh, my word, well, no. as... <laughs> <laughs> Could we do that? <laughs> there will be all different kinds of genres of music and, and different shows coming up. Um, so, yeah, exciting stuff. Well, absolutely. I mean, we're working in the summer. It's going to be twenty four seven, and we, you know, there'll be interviews and you know a schedule that people can refer to and find out more. Uh, but as we evolve from there, we're going. To, we're working on shows in the background with lots of really interesting people. So new shows will be coming online during the course of autumn as we progress, and over time, you know. So um, it's really, really exciting times, and everyone that we're working with uh, are very excited about it too. Absolutely. But anyway, back to today's show. So we have got a lineup of um, various interviews with some wonderful people. You're absolutely right, Darren. And, you know, coming up in today's show, we've got a wonderful uh, interview uh, with Alison, who's the county organiser for Shropshire National Garden Scheme. Uh, And we've got a couple of volunteers as well that's joined the interview. That's uh, Karen and Deborah. So we'll be listening to that interview very, very shortly. Absolutely. And then we have um, the Vice Lord Lieutenant of Shropshire, who is Mark Cuthbert Brown. We had a really interesting interview with him uh, talking all about the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service, um, how you can go about um, uh, nominating somebody for it and just generally more about it. Really nice to chat to him. And then we caught up with uh, Michelle John. She's the director of PEGS, which is Parental Education Growth Support, for uh, on a subject that's uh, very uh, kind of close to a lot of people and a subject matter that we, we wouldn't really know was uh, such a thing, but, it, you know, mm. it's abuse from child to parents, uh, children abusing their parents and, and the support that's out there for the people in Shropshire. I mean, it's just such an eye-opening chat and interview um please listen in as we progress it's such a wonderful uh, thing that michelle is doing and her team there at pegs uh and after that Derry, 
Yes, after that, quite excitingly, we have another in-tuner, Shane Stark, who is going to be interviewing Trey Nevin, who is a professional golf coach. Um, And he's giving tips about how he uh, started, how he successfully promoted his services through lockdown by using social media. Some really good tips there that he imparts to Shane. Wonderful. I mean, we just couldn't think of a um, of a better lineup, really, to kind of say that this is our our last podcast, but we're moving into twenty four seven broadcasting. It's just fabulous. So we've got a band kicking us off as ever. Who is it, Derin? We have got the Jays with "Run," which is a rather atmospheric, sort of thought provoking song from uh, from one of the in tuners, uh, which is Amy Owen on lead vocals. So let's hear the Jays.
Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website, that's intune-radio.co.uk. Hi everyone, so today I'm being joined by some representatives from the National Garden Scheme, volunteers from Shropshire, in particular, we've got Alison Walter, who is the county organiser, and two volunteers who are opening their gardens up to the general public in the next few weeks. That's Deborah Abel and Karen Scurry. Ladies, welcome. Thanks for sparing some time to uh, have a chat with me, Wayne of Intune Radio, about the National Garden Scheme, which sounds as though it's steeped with heritage dating back to the 20s and and as you mentioned slightly earlier Alison almost a hundred year anniversary not far off. Alison can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement how you came to be uh, the county organiser? Yes hi Wayne thanks for letting us talk to you this morning it's very much appreciated. Um, Yes I mean as you mentioned the National Garden Scheme has been going since 1927 and it was set up then to help fund the provision of nurses in the community. This is before the NHS. And uh, a lady uh, by the lovely name of Elsie Rag came up with this wonderful idea of the of gardens opening and people char- being charged a shilling a head to go in. And that's how it started. And it funded training of community nurses in Liverpool and Manchester initially, uh, where particularly to help children and uh, women in the community who had no access to healthcare. And that's what we still do. Uh, now we have um, over three and a half thousand gardens across England and Wales wow. who open their gardens. We have 75 in Shropshire, over 105 openings. And it is exactly the same in as much that people come and visit private gardens, lots of which never open to the public. And we charge an entrance fee and all that money goes to nursing and caring charities. And now the National Garden Scheme supports Macmillan, Marie Curie, the hospices, the Queen's Nursing Institute, Parkinson's and many others. Uh, a lot of which are smaller charities who completely rely on our help. The National Garden Scheme is the biggest single donor now to both Macmillan and Marie Curie. And in our last good year before COVID, yes. uh, the, uh, the charity raised over four million pounds across England and Wales. So it's a very, very simple concept. And of course, initially, when it started, all the gardens were the big estates and um you know nobody else really had a garden uh, in those days and uh, and interestingly we still have some of those gardens in Shropshire who are still opening for the scheme and uh, but now of course uh, it is open to everybody and we have gardens big small uh, interesting urban gardens we have still have the biggest estates we have the beautifully designed gardens we have cottage gardens we have country gardens <laughs> anything and uh, it, it's uh, a, a real uh, way of bringing people together. Uh, obviously, um, it relies on our garden owners to put in a huge effort uh, into their openings, but it's very much about 
family and friends and helping. And as you mentioned earlier on, we are all volunteers um, and it wouldn't work uh, any other way without it being a voluntary organisation. And um, I'm very proud of being involved and I've been involved for 12 years now and um, done all the jobs necessary (laughs) to make it happen. And uh, we have raised in that time in Shropshire huge amounts of money uh, for charities. And so it continues. And um, it's just one of those things that's just part of the sort of the British psyche, really, I think, the National Garden Scheme. If you mention open gardens and the famous yellow book, people, if you're a gardener particularly, you know what we're talking about. So it's very well known. And from your experience then, um, how long does it actually take to organise? I mean, if the, the gardens are over for a, uh, open for a, uh, a small pocket of time, I believe, and then... Um, you know, what kind of run-up lead time is there in terms of organising and how can people get involved? Well, believe it or not, it's a year-round operation. Uh, we start in the previous September, October time yes. uh, when gardens who want to open or we have approached to open uh, because obviously we're signing up new gardens to take part in the scheme all the time. Uh, they register and then over the winter months we produce all the materials that we need for publicity, uh, the yellow book I mentioned which lists every single garden open in England and Wales, all the, lo- all the, the leaflets for each county and I mean in Shropshire we produce 38,000 leaflets which our volunteers spread across the county. Uh-huh. And as uh, Deborah and Karen know, uh, we also produce posters and signs and everything that any of our garden owners will need to open. So that all happens over the winter. Uh, But we, in a normal year, we would have gardens opening in February uh, for snowdrops. And it runs right way through. Our last openings are usually in October. So you can see that it actually never really stops. <laughs> <laughs> and you're currently retired, it's the are you? Hair. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably busier now than when you were employed somewhere by the sounds of things. Um, well, yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Debbie and Karen, I mean, you've got involved, I think, um, recently, and I suppose your uh, your gardens are opening soon, and you must be kind of feverishly finishing off the the last bits of pruning and planting and making sure everything's looking perfect. Can you talk us through kind of like your experiences, how you got involved and um, do you have any influences or or parts of your own garden that you absolutely love? Um, Well, on a a personal note, so we got involved um, through my mother-in-law, who's gardener. Um, Sheila was part of the garden scheme and she suggested um, Alison and Sheila come and have a look at our garden to see if it was suitable um, as one for opening. And um, and then, you know, I mentioned our friend Debbie's, Debbie and Andy, and yeah. um, so they'd be interested as well. So, um, yeah, we uh, we got together, have, had a meeting, and um, um, Alison and Sheila felt that it was, it, they were both suitable as a, a joint opening, um, which is what we've decided to do um even though they're sort of small gardens in comparison to you know large stately homes etc they're still jam-packed full of interest which Mm. um 
although totally different, I'm sure people can relate to on housing estates. Um, so, you know, they don't need to be out of people's reach. They're things that anyone can achieve. Yes. Um, but um, but now, so since then, we were opening uh, last year on the 10th of July, um, but sadly uh, that was cancelled. So it's given us a little bit of time to sort of complete projects we'd got in mind and do a little bit more planning. Um, but even so, it still feels like we're running out of time and there's plenty to do. The list is getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> and is that how you, um, uh, your experience so far of it, uh, Deborah, is um, the list is still ever growing and, um, you know, what? how do you actually decide when it's finished? I mean... <clears throat> it just goes on. The list is... Was A4, now A5. Oh, that's the um, paper's changed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a little bit. But um, no, it's it, you can go on and it's wonderful. Absolutely enjoying the experience. It's um, We've tweeted, we've um, tweaked the garden rather. And it's, you know, we'll just keep going until the last, very last minute. Yes. But it's, yeah, it's good. It's a really, really good experience for anybody who's thinking of uh, doing this. Um, Karen and I are loving it. Um, and oh, it's been great. lovely to bounce yeah. on, yeah, uh, to, you know, to bounce off one another. And, um, you, know, you know, we have, you know, there's perhaps a gin and tonic involved, but yeah, <laughs> it's, um, you know, we've, um, um, we've enjoyed it. And the gardens, I hope, um, do the National Garden Scheme proud. I mean, we'd like to both like to think that, I'm sure. Yeah, so, so the big thumbs up from Alison. So, I mean, is there a... How uh, how did you decide, therefore, Debbie, to get involved? Because is this the first year that you've done it? I know the year's been postponed because of COVID, but is this the first time that you're kind of opening up your garden, as it were? Yeah, it's, it, it is the very first time. Um, it wasn't something I don't think... I don't know if I'm speaking for Karen here, but I don't think it's um, either of us had ever thought of this or entertained opening our gardens. Um, you know, friends pop round and, you know, we sit in the garden and we yeah. hopefully enjoy it. Um, but, um, you know, it was it was something that we got our heads around. And once we realised what was um, entailed in the procedure, um, we decided to go ahead. And I've got to say, I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Lots of work, lots of planning, lots of lists. That's <laughs> a buy-in buy of plants and things. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and Alison, do you have like a, uh, almost like a, a list of what you kind of expect from the, the, from the gardens that open up? Or, or do you just kind of say, look, that these are kind of like the main things that we are looking for, then it's over to you? How do you direct and... Well, the, the, the very first thing is actually the enthusiasm of the garden owner, because we all know how much work goes into it. And you have to have a real feel for it and want to do it because, you know, it is a commitment. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, the gardens have to have personality and interest. We, we don't ever look for perfect gardens. There is no such thing in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also... Uh, practical considerations such as parking uh, and also uh, the provision of refreshments which although isn't you know 
actually compulsory, but it is actually part of the visit. And obviously, from the fundraising point of view, it's quite an important income stream for the charity. Um, but it, it really is the combination of those factors. And, um, you know, when, when I first met with Debbie and Karen, I mean, I could tell straight away that the gardens were absolutely no problem. They're both absolutely exquisite. Um, and as I talked to them, I realised that, yes, they will do this and they will get behind it. And they got what I was talking about and what it was all about. And I think, you know, particularly at the moment when people know that the money is for nursing charities and nursing charities that don't get any government funding. So they rely totally on uh, volunteers such as ourselves to raise funds for them. Um, you know, it, it, it hits a note with so many people. And, um, you know, the, the scheme in Shropshire uh, is growing and growing all the time. I mean, even at the moment, uh, in difficult times, uh, you know, in the last 18 months, we've had another 20 gardens come forward. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it, it, part of my job is to, to organise the day-to-day running of the, the charity here in the county. But also to look for new gardens and people are coming forward all the time Mm -hmm. and uh, that's very very encouraging and how do they come forward do they contact you via the website give you a call what would be the the approach yeah I mean lots of lots of ways actually I mean uh, sometimes people uh, will go through the website and it'll come through to myself or I'll just get a phone call from someone saying Everybody thinks my garden's lovely, but I don't know. Would you come and have a look? And that's how it starts. And so many people think they haven't got a garden good enough, uh, which in my book is not the case. I've I've never known a garden I've visited and it's not been wonderful. Uh, Often it's the practical considerations that we have to think about more than the garden. Um, But uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, there's no sort of set rules as such. I don't come around with a clipboard. Yeah. Don't own one. <laughs> and ticking, ticking boxes <laughs> and so on. No, don't do tick boxes. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, so, Karen, um, I have been fortunate enough to visit your garden because obviously you're friends with Debbie and Debbie is uh, a neighbour of ours. So Debbie's garden is obviously amazing as well. Um, you've got some koi carp in your garden and some bonsai trees and there's there's all sorts of things uh in yeah. going on can you tell us a little bit more about um um yeah we've we've been into sort of koi carp for well well over 30 years now we've been at this property for um 29 years uh we moved in when it was new and it was bought with the um provision that it was had a garden big enough to build a koi pond so before all the boundaries were put in and the diggers were still on site building etc um we asked asked the site manager if he could um dig a hole for us my husband kevin marked it out with a hose pipe and pegged out where he wanted this pond dug we came home from work in the evening and there was a a lovely big pile of topsoil and a great big hole so uh that was the start of our proper koi pond, although our previous house, we did have a small sort of garden pond. But yes, it's um, it's on version three now, um, updated filter systems, et cetera. Wow. Um, and now it's sort of, um, yeah, it's, it's 
constantly evolving as far as a, a hobby because technology changes, treatments change. Um, but, you know, you have to look after the water and the fish will hopefully look after themselves. Um, except last night, one nearly jumped out and has um, damaged itself. But uh, oh, Probably a bit nervous. <laughs> <in the> opening, <laughs> yeah, it must have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and um, I... Um, I got into bonsai trees because, you know, it, it does complement the koi hobby uh, quite nicely. Um, my mother bought my husband one years and years ago, um, and he sort of thought, oh, yeah, very nice, but it wasn't really his thing, the, the trees. Anyway, I took it on, and, and I joined the Shropshire Bonsai Society, um, of which I'm the treasurer now. Oh, wow. Um, and I've um, been in that for about 20 years. Um, we meet once a month, but uh, we're having our first meeting this month, first one since lockdown. Um, so, yes, it's it's been a long time coming. But, yeah, the bonsai trees, we've got those um, around the koi pond, um, and I'm constantly running out of spaces for them, so things suddenly have to have um, sort of new new places or I acquire a bird bath stand and thought bonsai stand there. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah it's um it's something that it keeps me um sort of occupied. I've never got a dull moment and being disabled it's something that I can still manage to do. Um, you know, some physical things I struggle with. I can't lift the pots up because they are so heavy for me. But uh, yeah, it's something that you can have sort of on a bench and just work with and tittle about and lose yourself. It, it's a very, very relaxing hobby, both the koi and the, the bonsai. Um, but um, stressful if things don't go right with the fish, of course. <laughs> yeah. I feel like incredibly ra- relaxed just talking through your gardens. And I, I know that there's a lot of work involved with opening up, but as you've mentioned, it, the, probably the list is, is almost never going to end. There's always going to be something to do. Um, Debbie, so, I mean, obviously being a neighbour, I've been to your garden as well, uh, You've let me in, which is very kind of you. Um, and You're uh, always welcome, Wayne. <laughs> it's very kind. And there's a pond element in yours, and there's there's fabulous uh, trees. And can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your garden, your inspiration? How long has it taken? It's I suppose it's taken off um, since I left work. Um, so I've got a, a little bit of a uh, little bit more time. Yeah. Um, the front garden was always um not so full as it is now um but we've enjoyed um doing a lot more to the front garden and we've met friends through it um lovely lady that goes past um, we have a chat with her and it's lovely and it's a real community thing Mm -hmm. it's um you know people seem interested the garden itself um excuse me i'm sorry um the garden itself, um, we do have a pond um, that goes around the conservatory um, with fish in it. And we do have some koi, but um, not the calibre of uh, Karen and Kevin's. But we do have fish. Um, I love water in a garden. Absolutely love it. So any excuse but water, I'm there. Um, yeah, I love it. And I love the trees. I love the 
um, the aces. We have um, all sorts of shrubs, um, different seating areas um, to spend time. Mm-hmm. Um, so different parts of the garden for different times of the day. Yes. Um, yeah, it's good. It's it's um, a relaxing place to be. It's somewhere like Karen. I can switch off, enjoy, uh, enjoy the peace, the quiet. You know, just going around with a basket and, you know, deadheading. It's wonderful. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe, did, did Andy dig out your, uh, initially dig out your pond? Um, with yes, a, he did. With a, with a shovel. <laughs> Yes, he did actually. Yeah, I think he took three tons out of. Um, we we did have a small pond there, and um, we've spoken to Kevin, and uh, see it, it's we bounce off one another really yeah, yeah. well. Um, Andy, and Kevin um, is Karen's husband. Karen's husband. Yeah. Karen's husband. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you know, as you can tell, they're they're good friends of ours. And um, so Andy took an, a further three tons out. By hand, as she said, um, a lot of it went onto our front rockery, so that helped with that. Um, yeah, and it was, um, it's something he loves. He loves looking after the fish, um, enjoys the you know enjoys the experience. Um, you know, they take care. You know, he does put some time into it, but um, he loves it. Absolutely yeah. loves it. So it's a good helping, isn't it? As much as uh, and community and. You know, oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is very much um, um, a community thing. We've learned that through, um, you know, being on the front garden. People have stopped. No end of people have stopped. Mm-hmm. Invariably, people will stop and chat, yeah. and it's about what you've got in the garden, what you're doing. They love it. We're trying to um, include or encourage um, a lot more wildlife into the garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have hedgehogs pottering around here, the, you know, certain times of the year, um, you know, uh, birds, um, anything, you know, we're just trying to encourage everything, bees particularly. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely thing. And I think, you know, to be able to share it is a wonderful, you know, wonderful thing to do. I can't believe it. I'm really um, thrilled to be doing this really thrilled you can you can see i mean i can see but people out there won't but i mean i can tell by your voice that with yourself and karen um how much passion and love you really have for the the great outdoors that you can call yours i mean it's just amazing that um these opportunities are around with the national garden scheme that you can kind of you know uh, plan and, and do something with the space and let other people enjoy it it's just amazing so you mentioned soon i think maybe when you were <laughs> during your conversation when are you opening your garden when's the date um, well we're um 16th 16th of july so yeah. not too far in the future so lots of jobs um it is between <laughs> five o'clock and nine o'clock in the evening yeah um our garden we are selling books we have um, a lot of books for sale and we have a very hopefully a very nice gentleman who will be helping us with that yeah. we've got plants Karen and I both been you know passionately put, potting up uh, plants to sell um, um, we are um, offering wine for a donation mm-hmm. a suggested donation 
um, so that people hopefully on a lovely summer's night will be able to walk around the garden with a glass of wine or a cup of tea, cup of coffee, homemade cake. And enjoy all of homemade cake. Oh, I mean, I'm there. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> so, and then people can enjoy all of these different aspects of your garden, all your different sort of seating areas and, and see what it's like at, different, at those different times. Oh, absolutely. That's, you know, we do have, like I said, different seating areas. Um, and it's, you know, and perhaps wandering around on the front as well on the, you know, because we've got a lot of plants in the rockery, a lot of shrubs, a lot of perennials. Um, yeah, it's hopefully a, a very friendly, um, you know, pleasant evening for everybody. Yes. You know, that's the intention for people to enjoy. Yes. And... So, and where are you located? Where can we find you? Well, we are uh, 74 Conway Drive. Yes. Postcode SY25UY. So we're on Telford Estate, about halfway down. There will be um, yellow, large yellow signs, as Alison said, um, that the NGS um, have supplied for us. Uh, a nice large banner so that um, that will go on the front fence. Um, so that anybody passing will be in no doubt whatsoever about what's going on. Um, but it's, as I said, um, yeah, 16th of July, five to nine. And hopefully we'll see everybody that night. And Karen, I don't know whether you want to sort your um, address out. Yeah. Um, so the ideally would like people to park up at um, Deborah's 74 Conway Drive. Yes. Um, and there will be a shuttle bus available to ferry people down to number 12 Collie Close and that's um, just opposite the driving range down Telford Way. Um, we are postcode SY25YN but yeah. being a close obviously it's going to be difficult with parking because um, there isn't any other than, than the neighbours. So ideally we'd like people to use the shuttle bus. Um, there is um, Time slots available on the NGS website and tickets available to buy from there. Um, it's £6 entry, which will cover both gardens. Um, so you are getting sort of two gardens for your money and children will be free as well. Wow. There is, there is disabled access at my garden. Um, being disabled myself sort of and occasionally needed to use a wheelchair there is wheelchair access through most of my garden so um that's um that's a, a good point but sort of sadly not so easily um at deborah's um but yeah it's um it's going to be a, an exciting evening we're all looking forward to it um, my husband's going to be by the koi pond selling little tubs of fish food so, um, you know, little little tubs of food to feed the fish and um, uh, that'll be another little interesting point because they are quite ravenous. It's, uh, it doesn't, take, uh, doesn't <laughs> take long for that to go down. So uh, you'll spend an evening just watching the fish, I think. <laughs> Wonderful. So if people want to find out more, they can go to the NGS website, which is ngs.org.uk. Alison, Deborah, Karen, thank you for joining us at Intune Radio. Really hope the uh, the open garden evening goes swimmingly. 
and um, wonderful, wonderful work. Can't wait to hear more and catch up again about what happened. Thank you. Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website. That's intune-radio.co.uk. So lots of ideas, Daring, for Intune Radio that we're evolving over the next few months and we have been evolving anyway over the last sort of 16 months however long it is now uh, 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 last february wasn't it um mm-hmm. uh, 2020 was the initial idea and then we did a show in september uh which was then released i think november time by the time we, we did it on the premise that we could also do a christmas show uh yep. 12 bands of christmas which um as we know was top 50 percent podcast of all time um and during the early part of uh, 2021, we've had fabulous engagement on Facebook, 40,000 uh, engagement per calendar month. So um, we progressed the idea because we want to launch a community interest company radio station in Shropshire because Shropshire needs one, Terrin. Exactly. It hasn't got one. And uh, so there was a huge, you know, gap opportunity there. So we are really taking this big step to go 24-7, which... yeah it is it is scary but fortunately i mean people probably won't know but a lot of the uh work behind the scenes will mean that it's generally automated day to day but we are going to be moving more towards programs that people would normally associate with associate with traditional radio uh as we progress the station through the autumn winter and so forth and we have to do that because we're learning our trade as well aren't we we've got to be honest with ourselves and we're not day-to-day broadcasters and we we probably need to to look at how we uh, present good quality content um and how we can pro- uh, continue our own careers because everyone's got jobs and this is a, this is volunteering this is for the community and this is for charity you know essentially um and we're volunteering our time to make this happen for the county mm-hmm Yep. Um, to, and to help businesses as well, um, you know, to promote them. Uh, but yeah, basically, it is, it's for Shropshire. And, uh, and we would be really interested to hear from anyone out there who would be interested in having their own show. In fact, <gasps> how exciting is that? I know. To actually have the opportunity to have your own radio show. Um, so... If you are, then uh, please get in touch with us. <laughs> get in contact. <laughs> and when we mention show, you know, someone can like DJ, maybe they've got, they particularly like 60s music or 70s music. We can just have a, we're just interested in music shows, but equally if someone is the, uh, has the mindset that they want to do some of the things that we've done, like interview people and then put, put together a show, then of course we've got the technical capability they can do that. And if someone's kind of thinking, well, I haven't got enough time, that sounds like wonderful, but it's going to take forever. Well, actually it doesn't, you know, um, if you've got a couple of hours a week available, it's very feasible that you can do a show. And whether you, like I mentioned, whether you just play music or you want to present your own show, we can work with you and make that possible and we can produce it for you. And of course, like Derry mentioned, if you're in a business and you want to be involved, you can still do a show, whether you've got a, you know, if you've got a couple of hours a week and it can help actually highlight what you do as a business and, and um, how you can help the Shropshire community, you know, how your business can help the Shropshire community and how they can help a charity as well, which is incredibly important. And then that moves us on to the fact that because we are a radio station, 
we have um, availability of founding partners. And if you want to understand, if you're a big business and you want to understand how to be a founding partner, we've got different levels of founding partner entries uh, that you, you would find really interesting. So get in contact with us. That's intune-radio.co.uk or send us an email to info at intune-radio.co.uk uh, to find out more about how to be a founding partner, what it involves and why it's beneficial to your business. But we've also got advertising, Terry, and advertising. We've looked around and I think we've created something really, really competitive. We can produce the advert for you if you don't have the advert uh, at a set price. Uh, and then you can advertise, play it essentially, from as little as two pound per spot. And what can you I get know. for two pound, Erin? A couple that of loaves of bread, isn't it? Loaves is of bread, a loaf of bread, yeah. and a pint of milk. <laughs> uh, or you can advertise your business oh, yeah. on Intune Radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's far more tasty. Far more it tasty. Is. Than a pint it of milk. is far more tasty. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we've created like we believe a real cool platform. Um, for businesses to, 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 to communicate what they do out there as well as charities and community. And on the community side, we're outreaching, aren't we? We want to hear from what is known as the 25 settlements uh, in Shropshire because, of course, it isn't just about uh, Shrewsbury, Telford, Ironbridge, etc. We want to hear from ev- everyone. You know, mm-hmm. is something happening in your town, in your village, in your community? We want to hear about it because we're going to have a platform that we can tell others. And if you've got a fate and you want to increase your footfall, if, you've, um, if you're doing uh, some kind of charity work, a trek, you know, whatever it might well be, whether you're a school uh, and you're getting involved in the, uh, helping the local community in different aspects, we'd love to hear from you as well. Honestly, um, please contact us with anything that you feel is suitable because we can – we can come and interview you and um, we can get your story across Shropshire because Shropshire is unique in the fact that it's got about half a million people, Shropshire, Telford and Reekin, but we're all spreading the largest, largest landlocked uh, county in the country. So the sensible and um, kind of idealistic uh, outreach really is through radio um, because people you can reach that are in small pockets of communities that you wouldn't necessarily be able to communicate to. It's just, I mean, it's just fascinating. It really is. Absolutely. And, and as Wayne was saying, you know, the fact that we have got, was it, you say 25, 25, 25 uh, settlements as, it, as it's called. Yes. Yeah. Called, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Cause people generally think, Oh, Shropshire, it's like Shrewsbury and you've got Ludlow and uh, you know, and, and then the big town Telford, but you know, there's, there's all these, you know, other villages uh, and uh, things are happening. Things are happening yeah, all, all the way through. And certainly will be, you know, now that we will be, um, you know, fingers crossed, opening up more, uh, then things yeah. are happening and please tell us about them so we yeah, can absolutely. get people to come to see you. <laughs> And, you know, the, the, the settlements, as you say, it's right through to, I think the, the smallest settlement that's on the list is Clunner, I think 640 people, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we don't hear, you know, uh, you know, uh, unless What's something happening is in Clun? Ha- massively happening in Clun, we, we ain't going to yeah, hear. come on, and, where's Clun, please? Yeah, <laughs> come on, get in contact with us and <laughs> follow us on Facebook, please. And if you're a business Connect with us on LinkedIn because we've got so much coming up and we want to hear from you. And particularly if you want to volunteer a few hours per week to help push the message out there and present a show. I mean, honestly, it's such a worthwhile thing to do. 
Exactly, and we can, um, we, we you know we can give you pointers to how to produce your show. Obviously, you will do need to uh, to be able to record yourself, but uh, you know we can give you help. We can train you up. Absolutely, there's support, training, guidance, all awaiting you to make life a lot easier, uh, and to realise what to some people is a bit of a dream. You know, to, yeah. to get involved with broadcasting and do a show. Absolutely. Anyway, on that note, Wayne, we better crack on with this show. We better crack on with this show. Let's go to Mark Cuthbert Brown, who is the Vice Lord Lieutenant of All About the Queen's Award. Okay, well, today we're really excited on Intune Radio Shropshire that we are talking to Colonel Mark Cuthbert Brown, who is the Vice Lord Lieutenant of Shropshire. And so welcome, Mark. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you. Lovely to be with you. Hiya, Mark. And can you tell us what does the Vice Lord Lieutenant of Shropshire do? Well, um, it's all a bit vague, really. Um, (laughs) I'm appointed by the Lord Lieutenant um, to stand in when he or she, and it is now a she, it was a he when I took over, um, to stand in if uh, he or she cannot attend a particular event. And it might be because they're overcommitted or it might be lucky enough to be on holiday or perhaps indisposed. And um, I'm lucky enough that it's very rare that I have to stand in directly. Um, but I do my utmost to assist the Lord Lieutenant in in whatever she does. And Anna is a wonderful example of someone utterly committed to doing things in the county, for the county and representing the county, um, upholding the dignity of the crown, um, representing the county in dealings with the palaces um, and occasionally standing in for royalty um, at visits which could have warranted a royal visit but just can't quite be managed on the occasion. Um, and so uh, one has to have a representative of the Crown within the county and, um, and that's what the Lord Lieutenant does. And I do my best to assist her and to stand in on some occasions. Wonderful. That must be such an interesting uh, job to do, though. So uh, can you tell us how how did you become the Vice Lord Lieutenant of Shropshire? Well, that's quite a long story. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I retired from the army after 35 years um, in 2012, um, at a time when we still had uh, the wonderful old barracks at Copthorne. um, And I was invited there to a a retired officer's function, and I bumped into an old friend of mine, a gentleman called Edmund Thules, who was at the time, not that I realised it, um, the Vice Lord Lieutenant. And uh, when he asked what I intended to do in retirement from the army, I said, well, I'm I'm lucky enough to have a pension on which I think I can survive, and I'm looking for some voluntary work. And he reached into his briefcase and said, ah, well, I've got just the thing for you in that case. Um, And he said, you can't tell anyone about this just yet because it's not public, but uh, we've had it confirmed that Her Majesty is going to visit um, RAF Cosford uh, in the summer of 2012 uh, to celebrate the Jubilee. And uh, they needed someone to help run the administration and the logistics. Was I willing to do it? Um, and I said yes. And uh, before I knew it, it was a day a week, and then it was two days a week, and then it was three days a week. And before I knew it, I was looking for an eighth day in the week. Um, <laughs> and in July 2012, uh, we had a wonderful visit by, both by Her Majesty and by um, the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, we had 35,000 children um, come down the runway and conduct something that was akin to an eye's left. Um, although, as he departed, the Duke of Edinburgh said to Edmund, um, 
That wasn't quite the trooping of the colour, was it? Uh, but it was with a real glint in his eye, and he had quite clearly enjoyed the day. It was informal, it was wonderful, and it met the remit that had been set by the then Lord Lieutenant, Sir Algie Heber Bercy, although it was before his knighthood. Um, and it, it met his entire remit that as many young people and children should attend as could be managed, and that they would live the rest of their lives remembering that occasion in which they saw the Queen. And um, I think we achieved it. As I say, 35,000 children um, from all around the county. Every school bus that we could get was committed to the event in getting them there and getting them home again. Um, and we had a good many adults as well. And it was a wonderful sort of fairground atmosphere hosted by the Royal Air Force at Cosford, but very much a Shropshire event. And it's um, that was how I got into the lieutenancy, or rather how I was noticed by the lieutenancy. And a couple of years later, Sir Algy wanted to add to his cohort of deputies, and he added me to the list. And three years after that, Edmund was set to retire, and suddenly I found myself being invited to take over as the Vice Lord Lieutenant. Um, and that's a job I've now been doing for, I suppose, uh, about four years, I think. That's fantastic. So um, what I would like to ask you is, as you were saying, that was obviously a, you know, a big royal visit to Shropshire uh, by the Queen and, and uh, Prince Philip. Um, do we have more royal visits to Shropshire than we know about? Or, or are they always publicised if a member of the royal family comes to Shropshire? Or do they ever sort of sneak up here in secret and nobody ever hears? <laughs> um no, that's a that's quite a difficult one. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> no, it's um, most often it's public, um, mm-hmm. but there are occasions in the past when uh, there's been a degree of of privacy, and one one should remember that um, both of two royal princes have been trained to fly helicopters at RAF Shawbury, and they've lived within the county, and they they've known the county very well from the air, mm-hmm. um, and their their movements and 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 lifestyle were quite clearly. Um, secluded um, simply for security. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there is, in my observation at least, I I shouldn't speak for the royal family, but it does seem to me that they have an affection for the county and the people of the Mm -hmm. county. Um, And um, they do respond very warmly when they're invited to come, um, generally speaking, but they are busy people and they can't come on every occasion, but they often do come and they go away with a smile on their faces, which is (laughs) a good thing. Absolutely. Have I answered the question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, the Queen's Award for voluntary yes, service. Um, that's recently been um, uh, something that you've been looking at. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the awards came about and uh, yes, why they're so precious to Shropshire and the Shropshire people? Well, the, the, the awards were conceived in... 2002, um, when the Queen was preparing to celebrate her Golden Jubilee, uh, she was very conscious that a lot of individuals were recommended and sometimes the lucky ones were then honoured with a personal award, an MBE or a BEM or an OBE or whatever. Um, But that there was a great deal being done by groups of volunteers and it wasn't possible for every single one of them to to be recognised in quite the same personal way. And... um, she conceived the idea that volunteer groups could be made eligible for an award. And, and um, what ultimately transpired is a, a crystal trophy with the QAVS, the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service badge on it, um, 
together with a certificate signed by Her Majesty, um, allocated every year on the anniversary of that jubilee, which is in, in itself the, the anniversary of the Queen's coronation in 1953, 2nd of June. Mm -hmm. And that's the date that the list every year is, is publicised. Um, and we have been, as a county, competing pretty well over the years. Um, and I know that I, I can speak for one or two um, amongst the lieutenancy in knowing that we've been consulted by other counties because we seem to have a fairly good hit rate on a per capita basis. Shropshire does better than most other counties. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is a great credit to, to the people of Shropshire that we have got a willing cohort of people, um, perhaps in some cases of a certain age, um, but they're very well dispersed in a, in a very diverse county that includes um, Telford, of course, with rel relatively urban environment, um, but some tiny villages. And um, it's quite interesting to go down the list of Shropshire um, towns and, um, and, and conurbations. Mm -hmm. And um, something like the 20th, I think I'm right in saying that the 20th largest conurbation in the county is the village of Clun. I may be a little bit adrift with that, but it's it puts it into perspective that we've got some very small populations, yeah. um, which um, which figure importantly on our map, but against the nature of some of the big conurbations, and perhaps I misused the word conurbation before. Um, you compare it with Manchester or Birmingham or Sheffield, uh, the density is very low, um, and we've got a lot of dispersal, with a great deal of need for community support. Mm -hmm. um, and in some places, we've in most places, we've got members of the community who step forward and do things for others, which is a wonderful thing. And it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to meet some of those folk um, through the QAVS scheme. Amazing. And actually, when we, um, when we caught up a little while ago, that actually helped um, cement my thoughts for having a community-based radio stations uh, station because of course you know um, smaller uh, populations um, you know with uh, that are dotted around structure they're harder to reach places and one of the easiest ways of of reaching people is through something like a radio station and it also yes. brought to light that the, there's 25 uh, settlements if you like that I uh, um, that I then w uh, went on to, to look up and realise that actually, yeah, we hear a lot with um, with what's happening in Shrewsbury and and Telford and Ironbridge and so on. But actually, some of the smaller settlements, as they called, you know, they um, they don't have uh, as much reach, you know, and and some significant work is being done by people on the ground there. And uh, we'd like to, you know, say to people that are in those settlements, contact us because we want to hear the great work that you're doing. And, uh, and actually we need to bring it to light uh, and let the, the, the larger settlements understand that great work is being done there, which I'm sure they do, but let's hear about it. Let's, let's hear some of those stories. And if you Absolutely. could put us in contact with any community leaders in those settlements who, who could um, spare 10 minutes to impart what's happening uh, and put us in contact with maybe some charity work that's, that somebody local is doing to them or, or you know, um, we would be delighted to hear more about things like that. That's fantastic. Uh, you're, you're, you're spot on there, Wayne, spot on. Um, and I'll be delighted to help you uh, establish some of those links. Um, but one of the first I might mention is Shropshire's Rural Communities Charity. 
Yeah. Um, and that's Hedy. I don't know whether you you know uh, Julia Barron, but um, she's worth talking to. Um, and she would help you uh, find all sorts of good causes around the county. Um, she, she, she's a, a great coordinating agent for um, for you name it, any any sort of volunteer organisation. Yes. Well, I will do. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Um, so the awards, the Queen's Awards. Um, winners? This year you want? You want yeah. this year's winners? Um, well, we had four this year, which is, um, which is a really good score. Um, we average <laughs> uh, in a county uh, three per annum over the last 18 years. Um, so wow. four is, is better than some years. Uh, not quite as good as our best year, but nonetheless... Uh, the very fact that we've had 55 winners uh, over an 18-year period is a, is pretty good um, score by by anybody's reckoning. Certainly, when you look at the Oscar lieutenancies, other than Shropshire's, uh, many of them are quite envious. Um, so, the 2021 winners this year: the Albrighton Trust, uh, known as the Red House um, Community Charity, obviously set in in Albrighton. Mm-hmm. We've got the Bright Star Boxing Academy, um, a an organisation that. Uh, uh, develops and builds confidence in youth um, using boxing as a vehicle, um, but um, it's um, it's not a heavy hitting organisation. It's one that just builds people gently, um, yes, albeit yes. with a little bit of a punch. I think at some stage, um, and then we have Shrewsbury Drapers Company, a long established charitable organisation um, in 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 well, quite obviously Shrewsbury, um, assisting people, especially the elderly and the isolated, uh, in need of housing. And then we have Shrewsbury's Food Hub, um, which um, I forget the figures off the top of my head, but um, collecting huge volumes of food at nearing its end of life on the shelves of supermarkets and, and, and elsewhere and ensuring that it makes its way to those who need it um, through volunteers physically humping and dumping and storing uh, food in order to distribute it and make sure it gets to, to people who need it. So those are the four this year, um, of which I'm That's immensely proud, well every done. one of them. Yeah. Yeah, very well done, all of them. And how do people, how do, how do they go through the process? Do they contact you? Do they, is it a form online? What? <clears throat> it, it, the, the most direct method would be to look it up online, um, qavs.gov.uk, I think it is, but put in a search for Queen's Award for Voluntary Service and it'll come up on, online very quickly. And um, pretty much anybody can submit a nomination for a volunteer cause. And I say anybody, um, there are some caveats. Uh, if you are a member of a volunteer organisation, you cannot nominate your own organisation, um, but you might well have a colleague organisation that you want to nominate and because of your own position as a volunteer for one, you might have visibility of another. Yeah. Um, it should not be an animal welfare charity. Um, it should be volunteer-led and principally doing work reliant on volunteers. It's not to say there can't be some professionals amongst them, but the leadership should be volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, the group must be, I think I'm right in saying it's three people or more. It might be four people or more. So exceptionally, they'll look at a very small group. Yes. But more often, it's a larger group than that. Um, but we have had one or two really quite small operations uh, that have been successful. Uh, one coming to mind is the um, Shropshire War Memorials Association, which is um, um, about four or five people typically all together with sometimes an extra hand or two volunteering, um, but uh, serving to 
update and maintain war memorials and giving advice. Um, and in some cases, researching uh, the names that should have been on a memorial that's not listed. Um, and in some cases, commissioning a new memorial to a Victoria Cross winner, for example. Uh, yeah. um, and it's um, it's a remarkable little organization. They, they won their award in, I think I'm right in saying, 2019. Um, and that was really small. Um, we had another one known as Goal, Getting Older Adults Online, uh, based in WEM. Yes. Relatively small number of people, but helping people who don't use a computer onto the computer, onto the network, in order that they can they can achieve communication, which, of course, mm -hmm. is very much expected by the modern world. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you've got an iPad or you've got a, got a mobile phone and you can use the internet, uh, you can communicate more readily, probably more cheaply, um, with people all around the world, and you can get access to government and official and non-official services that you might not otherwise reach if you live in the countryside um, and you simply can't get there. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just some examples um, I think I've jumped beyond the question you asked me and I can't remember the detail of it now <laughs> to remind me have I answered it right. yeah, I think you have yeah definitely I mean you know it, it's just interesting to see the diverse nature of um, of awards as well and and, the, yes. and obviously the hard work that people have put into uh, and then get nominated as you've as you've yes. pointed out um, yes. by people that have been probably so impressed um, by the work that they're doing for the Queen's Award. Yep. So what's the... What's the, what's no, just, the uh, if, oh. Forgive me, Wayne, I've just yeah. remembered there was a part of your question which I have jumped over. I've mentioned the fact that you can nominate through the government website, um, but it does help to consult someone who has worked in the system previously. And so having looked at the paperwork online, looked at the process online, um, it could do no harm to if you're online anyway, look up the Shropshire Lieutenancy. Um, we've got um, email addresses in the Shire Hall and, and get in touch with us because we have seen a lot of these cases in the past and we understand the metrics by which they are going to be judged in the scrutiny process in London. Um, and we can guide a little bit. Um, it's not to say we do anything dishonest at all. That's far from it. But we want to make sure that it's the truth, a truthful and subjective submission um, that goes in with metrics rather than broad um, broad adjectives. Yes. It's very easy for a witness to say, this organization is unique. Well, I can tell you that if you read that on a form in London, they will start saying, was it really unique? I, think of, I can think of someone else that's doing that in Bradford or Birmingham or Billericay or wherever else and yes. they will start checking because you use that word unique and for me if it's unique it's a one of a kind and you've opened a challenge by using the word so don't use it don't use it yes. um, what you've got to find a way is de demonstrating some metrics um, with comparison in such a way that the case is persuasive and we can help people do just that well, that's really important because, of course, you know, you, people would kind of think, well, we we, we believe that we've got a, a, a strong case um, to receive a Queen's Award. Uh, and to actually contact yourself, I can go through that process. I mean, it's going to help tremendously, isn't it? And that could well, be why you, so. you've got such a, a great hit rate is because, they, they, you know, you've been so articulate and, and, and diligent to, to help mm. people put the best case forward. 
Yeah, we do try to do just that. Um, and uh, we can't help everyone. And the, the threshold in London uh, where the scrutiny panel um, works, um, ultimately then giving a recommendation to Her Majesty for the awards every year, um, they do scrutinise every single case and they do it in very great detail. And some of those that we, we put forward don't succeed. And that's quite simply because we think they're good. We've presented the evidence. But in London, they've seen others and they think, well, that one just scrapes through just ahead. And there's a degree of competition in it. And um, yes. if you have a winner, there's always going to be someone in second place or third place and not everyone can have the award. Yes. And did the same goes for, um, I mean, we hear on the radio every year about the the honours, um, the honours mm. system that, uh, you know, with, with MBEs, etc. In the same way, do people nominate individual people in exactly the same way? Do they contact you? It's... It's not exactly the same way, but it is similar. There, there are. Um, so it's not an area of of the lieutenancy that I concentrate on. I tend to hold my effort for the QAVS, mm-hmm. but my um, I do occasionally find myself drawn into individual awards. There is a similar process for a national award, which is administered online, or it can be done on paper. Um, but once again. If evidence is presented in such a way that it is persuasive and um, it uh, provides evidence of the real excellence of the individual's ability, uh, a little bit of help from the lieutenancy might just be able to uh, to help. So it's very often better to find a, find one of the deputy lieutenants, um, inquire of the of the shire hall through the through the website I mentioned already, um, and uh, if we can, we'll help. Uh, but we'll be objective and we might actually say, well, yes, this is a wonderful person doing some good work, but I'm not really sure he or she stacks up against um, against the standards required. So we will be objective, um, but we'll help where we can and we do push for- forward um, a, a good few nominations. That's wonderful. So interesting to hear. Um, you know, because, I mean, as myself, I had no idea how one would go about uh, nominating anybody or, or mm. any organisation. And so now to know is, is fantastic yeah. and wonderful for our listeners to, to hear this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And the Queen's Award itself, it's, it's unique, isn't it? Because people actually have the, 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 they have the award for life, don't they? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, well, it is a Queen's Award. Um, it's one of those difficult things that we give the Her Majesty gives, uh, and we pass on the, the the awards, the trophy, and the certificate to a group of individuals who have been doing wonderful work up to the point at which they've been doing it. Um, and very many of them, the vast majority, carry on indefinitely. But some organisations are very heavily dependent on individual personalities, and they could then fall away at some stage. Um, and um, there is no mechanism I have yet uncovered by which these trophies are recovered. Um, so they become a legacy and they could sit on an individual mantelpiece um, for all time if they survive. And it's a glass trophy and it's heavy. And I do always make sure when there's a presentation taking place, be careful, do receive it. With Make sure that the person who's receiving it has got the strength to, to hold this block of glass that weighs a few pounds. Um, it's a wonderful thing, but let's get it on that ledge quite quickly. Um, so uh, we, I'm sure there have been a few accidents along the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it, you're right. It's a, it's a lifetime award. Once it's been presented, it's been presented. And um, so no, it's something of which people have to be proud. But at the same time, it's one of the reasons why we scrutinise the submissions very carefully. Yes. Fascinating. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to Mark. Um, it's been really, really interesting to chat. Uh, thank you very much, Mark, for, for all that information. Um, we will be putting um, how to contact Mark on our website and our Facebook page. Uh, so if you know of any organizations out there that could possibly be um, uh, a winner for the Queen's Award, then please get in touch. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for sparing time. And um, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Look forward to it too. Thank you very much indeed. Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website, that's intune-radio.co.uk. Next up, a band that a lot of Shropshire people know about but have reformed, and that is the band called The Taste. And they formed in 2009, split up in 2016, and they got back together in 2021. Now, I, I don't know what made them get back together, what made them split up, but we're so pleased they're back. Lead singer Dan Parker, I personally know through business networking, and I didn't know he had such a voice that sounds or reminds me of Ozzy Osbourne. So, I mean, it's Shropshire's own Ozzy Osbourne. The band is the taste. The track is hashtag lost control. Let's go.
Michelle John, director of PEGS, um, which is Parental Education Growth Support, right here in Shrewsbury, Shropshire, uh, has come along to tell us a little bit more about what she does and what PEGS do, um, and to enlighten us a little bit. Michelle, hi, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Bo. Thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Pegs do fabulous work. Uh, a lot of people probably don't understand what pegs do or um, what kind of support is out there for maybe situations that they find themselves in. Could you clarify a little bit more about what pegs do for us? Yeah, no problem. So we are a new organisation really, been going for the past 12, 12, 18 months and we support parents, carers and guardians who are living with children or have lived with children who are displaying abusive, violent or harmful, out of control behaviours and I also include adult children in that uh-huh. and we can support them by various of ways. Uh, we provide lots of different resources, support on a one-to-one basis, a bit of a bespoke package for parents really, Wayne. We try to put the parents at the centre and ask them actually what do you need rather than us telling them what they need because uh-huh. that doesn't always match. And then we try to offer that support, that guidance, that listening ear, the, the advocacy support with working with professionals sometimes and just giving them the space and the time to process what's going on for them and try to help them move forward, giving them hope perhaps in a situation where they do feel hopeless. Now, I mean, I would have, well, I would think that a lot of people wouldn't realise that this um, this problem is is happening. I mean, the idea of somebody's children, um, you know, physically abusing them isn't something that I should think has crossed a lot of parents' minds, but it is huge. It is a massive problem. And so many people out there are really suffering in silence. And, uh, and your organization is, you know, such a, um, a you know, helping hand for them that, that is, you know, that they desperately need to get hold of. Um, I mean, do you have any um, uh, sort of, um, you know, data as to how many people are really suffering through this? Good question, Darren. Yeah. So, Unfortunately, research is in its infancy, so only since 2010 has any research really been carried out regarding child's parent abuse. But what I can share is that a global statistic is one in 10 families, which works out around 3% of the UK population. For us as an organisation, um, we we are seeing a daily increase in referrals into our service, which is sad, really, really sad. During the first lockdown, Professor Rachel Condry and Dr Caroline Miles undertook some research regarding the impact of COVID and child-to-parent abuse and families. 70% increase in that first lockdown. So it is an ongoing concern. Um, as with all domestic abuse situations, they are underreported. And you're right, a lot of families or even professionals or people in the community, we don't realise that actually it is domestic abuse. The behaviours are abusive. We're very clear at PEGS. We don't call a child a perpetrator. I don't like that word. I don't think it's helpful or appropriate. So we always talk about children displaying those behaviours because it's the behaviour parent doesn't want, not they don't want their child. But in terms of data for our organisation, 90% of the families we support are being hit, controlled, threatened, or having their homes destroyed by their own child. Gosh, but and would you say that um, do do parents um, sort of feel that it's their fault or that that it shouldn't be happening and it's because of them and that the way they you know that it's all their fault because it's their child is is that how when people come to you that's their general feeling or are they just completely lost as to why 
you know, why this is happening? It can vary what, in terms of what parents feel, because obviously everyone feels differently. However, the parents that we're supporting, they are, they are telling us they're in fear. They're, they're in fear of their child and they're in fear of the unknown. They're worried. They're, they're feeling stressed. They're, they feel helpless, ashamed. Society tells us that we have to be this perfect parent. So there's a lot of stigma attached because perhaps you are not parenting how somebody else or society tells you you should be parenting. And of course, if your child is behaving in a certain way, a lot of parents feel responsible and feel guilty. And that's regardless of whether there's there's abusive behaviours going on. I think that's just in general. I think what we need to do is get rid of that stigma because it's not helping anybody. There's no worse critic for a parent than a parent themselves. And when you reach out for help and support, you need that support. You don't need to be filled or made to feel, sorry, pain, shame, or if it is down to you. We would never, ever say to an intimate partner victim of domestic abuse, well, what you've got to do is be a better partner. Pop along onto this programme to teach you how to be a better partner. Yet what we're hearing is... Similar for parents. Parents are being told, go on to a parenting programme, yet the majority of parents we're supporting have more than one child. So if it was a parenting issue, for example, it's reasonable then to assume all children from the family home would display in the same way. Parents are being told perhaps it's because of previous experiences that they've maybe stayed in a domestic abuse relationship themselves, for example. Yet 65% of the families we support have not been exposed to or not experienced intimate partner domestic abuse. And so what we're seeing is because perhaps this is really still in its infancy. We are probably where domestic abuse was 30, 40 plus years ago. But no one really understands what it's like, what the risk factors are, how to respond. And so everyone goes, it's parenting. Got to be parenting. Mm. And no one's really asking these parents, what does that look like for you? How can I help? What are you most fearful of? And asking those open questions. So you know, the, the why, the what, the who, the how. It's so important because even when you do reach out for help and support as a parent, all the services, all's a big word, but the majority of services, and this is what I'm seeing across the board, not lo- just locally, across the board, they're all geared towards a child or young person. And so then what happens, we have this silo effect for families where any worker that's involved with the family, we're looking at child's well-being, child's mental health, child's needs. And of course, that is absolutely correct. And we should be doing that. You know, we must be doing that. But equally, as a parent or carer there, well, who's looking after them? Who's risk assessing them? Who's asking them what they feel like? Who's looking at their safety and, and everything? And so we're having this really bizarre approach where we're saying services are family orientated and we're working with families. But when you actually unpick that, it's still very, very focused on the child. And that's just then adding on to the parent feeling fa- failure. They're being set tasks, for example, by services, by professionals to try and help. But they're not achievable or they're not going to work. And parents are saying, look, this isn't going to work for me and my family. It's, I've already done this. I've tried it. And then they're told, well, you've got to do it. So they, they try and do it again. And then further incidents happen or people are becoming extremely harmed. And then the parents are blaming them for that, for doing it, but they've been told to do it. And we see it's, it's yeah. I get very passionate and frustrated sometimes um, with the system that we have in place because it's not as effective as what perhaps it should be or what it could be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
Um, when the parents do actually contact you, which is obviously our program today, where you know we're highlighting that you know this help is available, um, what can you offer them to help them in their situation? You know, what advice do you actually um, help with the professionals that they're dealing with? Do you, um, you know, do you interact with them as well? What, what help do you, do you give a parent who who is in that situation? They say they're being abused by their child. They don't know where to turn. They've they've tried, um, you know, the social service. And, and as you say, and they come to you saying, help, you know, what, you know, what can PEGS do for them? We give them time. Our free, for us, for PEGS, we listen, we support and we empower and we stand by them. And so we ask that parent, actually, what do you do? And we take it back and go, OK, are you safe? So every parent that comes to us will have our full assessment. They'll have a, um, a safety plan. So even if they choose after that consultation not to work with us, at least we've been able to hopefully give them something to start with. We unpick about, OK, who is involved with your family? Why and what does that look like? And then with concern, perhaps we can talk to those professionals and go, look, this is what's going on from mum or dad's perspective, grandma's perspective. And whilst, you know, you are working with a child or young person in the family, that's great. But actually we're here as well to support for the family. So we try to encourage um, really good working partnerships with us and other services to empower those parents. We make sure the parents are comfortable with knowing what's going on for them and why, because what we're hearing and seeing is actually professionals and it's, it's, we're not anti-professional or anything we think it, it's important that we have these professionals but it's about being transparent so sometimes parents coming to us because professionals are speaking in acronyms for example or not fully explaining what that means and what that looks like and so then we take time to unpick that with them we can offer them peer support. We have a closed peer support group that's extremely active and run by my team. We post them there constantly. There's resources. We have one-to-one consultations ongoing. We've created a bespoke um, eight-week programme, and that's been created by some who have got lived experience and other professionals based on what parents told us they want. So they said to us, we want more practical and emotional support necessarily the strategies and a parenting program so we've built that in we've listened to them we have a virtual drop-in that's running at the moment that anybody can attend to ensure that you know they have that space they can come and ask any questions or build up that peer support yeah so we try and we also are really fortunate here in Shropshire that we've got um we work with the local uh, counselling service and Lucy's fantastic and we can also offer parents and counselling for free I'm a big believer in everything that we do for free so I don't charge my parents I don't think regardless of anyone's financial income if you're in if you're in need and you need support I personally struggle with the whole well I can help you but it costs you x amount of money I don't like the postcode lottery system I I don't so that's why we try and offer some some other provision where those parents may be living outside of Shropshire for example as best that we can you're involved with a lot (laughs) there's a lot of support that uh, parents can get which is uh, amazing but um when we chatted a little bit earlier, you also mentioned, you know, you've been going like sort of um, six months, uh, 16, about 16 months, sorry. Um, and you were, um, you've talked about a whole host of things that you're involved with from government levels to uh, BBC maybe programs. Can you kind of enlighten us a little bit more about how your, uh, how pegs, local pegs are helping to influence, help and support out there? So, 
I, I struggle with this way and I struggle with this bit because it's talking about what I've done. But yeah, no, we have. I've been really fortunate um, and I have contributed to the domestic abuse bill and I sat on one of the sub-advisory group, groups advising the Home Office specifically on child to parent abuse and I was the only organisation there to do that. I've also sat um, on Westminster's Domestic Abuse Forum, again, specifically on child to parent abuse. I can... Um, I probably shouldn't be sharing this, but I'll share it anyway. Um, so the guidance for the domestic abuse bill is out over the summer and all of the points that I put forward have made it into the um, into the guidance, including, so at the moment, the Home Office call it adolescent to parent violence and abuse. I've challenged that and said that actually when we call it adolescent parent violence, what we're doing is we're marginalising people. We're suggesting that only adolescents display this behaviour over 55% of the families we support have children 12 and under. So, and I also support parents with their children are adults. So obviously adolescents and fit. So I challenged them and suggested that child to parent abuse would be a much better fit. And I'm delighted to hear that it's made it into the, into the draft guidance. It hasn't gone through yet. In which case, um, once the final guidance is out, which I believe will hopefully be the end of end of um this year so autumn time hopefully then we will have the child to parent abuse moving forward which will just be fantastic for so many families and also for professionals because then they're they're, they're able to go actually yeah it does fit this remit um so yeah i've been doing lots of work with them um i've done lots of work with the bbc which has been lovely um, we've been given that opportunity to give these parents their voices. Lots of our parents have taken part in the BBC project, all anonymous. Um, we've had really, really good feedback, uh, and that's due to due to continue. We also are really active within Wales, so I cover four local authorities, two health boards, and the whole of Dover Powers Police. Um, and we've and we created. Um, we've we create an identification model called PRAM, which stands for PEGS Risk Assessment Model. Um, and that's been implemented in Dover Powers Police in the whole of Midwest Wales, which identifies clearly child to parent abuse and what should happen at that level. Um, we're, that is due, it's been evaluated by Cardiff University and the results are due out hopefully by the end of July. And then we're in talks with various other police forces. I'm hoping West Mercy will get on board. I really am because obviously we're local. Um, and they'll, they too will take on that. Um, and then I've also been part of policy writing and I've assisted Mid and West Wales Safeguarding Board to create the first ever specific child to parent abuse policy as well and we're hoping to see that moving forward i was then contacted by scotland um bbc and we've done a load of project there and off the back of that we've been contacted by um the scottish government as well so i'm hoping we'll see change moving forward up there as well and then locally i'm working alongside anybody that is willing to listen and talk to us i'm a really big believer in community connections and as much as we're here doing what we do i think it's really important that i also you know give that high five to those other amazing social enterprises non-for-profit the charity sector that are doing so much work and sometimes are not seeing the recognition that they deserve going above and beyond um so if, I'm going to be really cheeky, and if, if you allow me to, I would love to be able to thank um, Emma Roscoe, the Kintsuki Collective, Joe Lockley, Bright Star Boxing, Shropshire Domestic Abuse Service, um, Gemma from Mind and Telford, Telford and Recon Council, um, because they've, there's probably loads, loads more. Um, 
Recharge are another one, Smash Life, the all local Shropshire services, they're all run by people either with lived experience or have really good got understanding of their own remit and they're fantastic. And for me, having a survivor network, I suppose, one for a better phrase, that are heading up Shropshire and taking it forward to go, come on, we can do this, we can make change, we've been with these people who've been, let us help you, is so empowering and I'm inspired by every single person that I come into contact with I'm so privileged to be where I am and to hear those parents trust us enough to tell us their their journey and their horrific absolutely horrific sometimes experiences with their living in healthy and high-risk situations that and they trust us to go actually you know and that is so we're just privileged and I couldn't do what I what I do without my board. I've got an amazing board of people, really well connected um, as well. And, and we are supportive, but it's all down to the fact that Pegs is driven by passion. We're driven to try and see change. Um, Pegs itself was started because of my own lived experience. That's out there. What isn't out there is the specifics of that. And I will never talk about that because that's personal to me. And so I decided to turn my pain to power to empower others. And that's what this is about. It's Pegs is going forward with passion and determination and love to see that change and to give those parents the space they knew they need move forward because regardless of our situations as parents it is really difficult it's one of the hardest jobs in the world and we almost feel some of us really ashamed to go actually I'm struggling I need some help and some support because society tells us we're failing at that point and that's not okay and I think we need to start changing that narrative and going you know parenting is it is hard it is difficult sometimes and I'm okay saying that and I think the more we talk about that it's okay need help and support and get rid of that stigma we will see a better community for where we live and if that means that I have to put myself out and talk 100 miles an hour just to just to get somebody to listen then you know what I'll, I'll quite happily take that hit and I'll do it because it's it's about seeing change I can't change my experiences but I sure as hell can try and stand forward to try and make somebody else have a different experience amazing I mean people are listening I mean the traction that you've got and the passion I mean it's just oodles I mean it's just bouncing around all over the room you know uh it's just amazing work and it's in such a short space of time what did you do prior to Pegs were you employed somewhere I mean yeah I sadly had to give up my job because of my own experiences but um yeah so my background's in domestic abuse and family law and I'm also a trained in heart and mental health advocate as well so I come with lots of different experiences my staff as well they all come from various backgrounds with lots of experience and my board um I'm so privileged I've got two of the leading academics for child parent abuse on my board I've got social workers we've got forensic cams clinical leads um I'm regularly in touch with commissioner so the domestic abuse commissioner nicole jacobs for example massive advocate of us and she's brilliant victims commissioner we've got loads of ministers that support us um and it's lovely to see that people are standing up going actually this is not okay just because it's your child displaying those behaviors towards you doesn't mean it doesn't hurt mm. and, and that is something that, that we need to be talking about more mm. more openly i think to be honest with you. I mean, some of the statistics that we see, they are just heartbreaking. And just before we came on air, I mean, I explained one of the most shocking statistics for me. And I was challenged by my own organisation when I asked parents that we support about this, was that 
just under 5% of our families that we support are being sexually abused by their own child. Mm. It's a shocking statistic. It's heartbreaking. We're not asking those questions. And if we're not asking those questions, we're not hearing those answers and we're missing the opportunity to help those people. Mm. Um, and it is. We've got 50% of our families have had to call the police with just over 10% more than 10 times. It's horrific. 50% have had to give up work or have considerably reduced hours because they can no longer go because of the behaviours from their child and young people. Mm. What is also interesting is that actually some of the parents we support, they're being threatened by local authorities with fines if they um, if their child stops going to school. So the child's abusing them, and I'm talking sometimes horrific physical abuse, and then rather than support, some local authorities are saying, actually, your child needs to be in school. I understand the law and I understand the legislation around that, but parents are actually being fined because their child's not gone to school, but perhaps their house has been completely trashed, the parents being attacked every time they ask for help and support or trying to get the child to go to school. And so what we're seeing then is another cycle of where parents are being criminalised and prosecuted because of their child or young person's behaviour. And again, we would never, ever fine an intimate partner victim of domestic abuse because their partner didn't go to work. Sure. Well, I have to say, it's, it's, I mean, as you say the word, it is shocking to actually, you know, think this is really happening on, you know, in, in so many families and families are suffering in silence. Um, and that the fact that, you know, you are there, there is help there. I, I just think it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, and obviously all the details, uh, you know, how to contact you will be on the Intune uh, website. So, Michelle, what what really is the solution in the end, you know, generally? Unfortunately, I haven't got a one-size-fit-all answer because we're all individuals. What we are seeing, what we do know, is parents are the experts in their situation. They live and breathe this day in, day out. They know and they are already risk assessing and safety planning. They may not be calling it that. They can identify when someone suggests something, whether it's going to work or not, and they can also explain why not. What we need to see happening is professionals listening to those parents and putting them at the centre and asking what works well, what have you tried, what doesn't work well, and why doesn't it work, and how else can I help you, and then see a very succinct, joined-up approach with a working positive partnership with the, the outcome should always be safety and the well-being of all the family members and keeping that family together in the safest way possible which does vary family to family and we try to sometimes help and support parents with that and we try to support the professional as well because if nobody's listening to each other we're not going to see that change but parents are the solution they are not the problem here the work that you're doing with the commons and the bill writing and that sort of thing, presumably, hopefully, that um, you know the larger institutions will begin to recognise what the issue is and put them on the correct path to resolve it with the family, rather than kind of you know differentiate between child and age and, and all of this sort of stuff. Um, absolutely amazing that you joined us, Michelle. Fantastic information. If anybody out there wants to just have a, a quick chat with you about any issues that they're facing, they can contact you through PEGS, can't they? And um, if people search for PEGS, that's P-E-G-S, of course, uh, they'll find you online and you're based in Shrewsbury. And, of course, we'll put your contact details on our intune-radio.co.uk website so people can click through to you from there as well. Derry, what a, an amazing insight into something that we just – wouldn't have known about 
Absolutely. Well, that, that's it. I mean, you know, you, you hear about... Um, you know, sadly about uh, domestic abuse and you generally feel that is between, uh, you know, uh, intimate partners um, or, or, you know, terribly towards children, but to actually the other way around is something that I think a lot of uh, our listeners will, will either have not have heard of or are suffering that in silence. And it's wonderful that there is, there is help out there with pegs. Yes. Michelle, thank you. No, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. And thank you for being able to let me give these parents a voice. Absolute pleasure. We'll catch up with Michelle again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website. That's intune-radio.co.uk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Talking Shrop. I'm Shane Stark, and uh, my normal uh, partner in crime, Vicky, couldn't join us today. But to make up for that, we've got a local celebrity in uh, the golf coach extraordinaire, Trey Nevin. Trey, how you doing? I'm very well, Shane. I hope you're well. Yeah, doing great. Thanks. Doing great. Good. So uh, yeah. a golf a golf coach. How, how did you get into that? Walk, walk us through the the, the background. Uh, so yeah, we'll go f- right from the start then. So how did I actually start? Um, I actually started a pl- with a plastic set of golf clubs, like most most people that my gran actually bought for me um, all those years ago. So how how old was I? I think I was seven or eight years old, and then kind of progressed from there. Um, got rid of the plastic set pretty quickly, and then got a proper set of clubs. Um, started hitting those plastic set across the cricket field uh, around where I lived at the time. And then, yeah, progressed, bought a proper set of clubs, um, started going to some group coaching sessions at a local golf club near where I lived uh, on Saturdays. And, yeah, just just kept going from there and got better and better. Um, Started playing a little bit of county golf, uh, probably around the age of... I don't know, maybe 11 or 12. So pretty quickly from, from starting. Um, and then, yeah, I just built up, uh, got better and eventually decided to end up doing my PGA qualifications. And uh, yeah, that's where I am now, uh, te- teaching golf and playing a little bit as well. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. And you're, you're at the, the Shrewsbury Golf Club, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Shrewsbury Golf Club. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And do you, and do, you do all your coaching there? Yeah, all the coaching at the moment is at uh, from Shrewsbury Golf Club. Yeah, so we have uh, driving range facility, uh, chipping green, putting green, eighteen hole golf course. Uh, yeah, so everything you need to um, to get your golf going. Yeah. Well, I think I have to, it's a little bit of a humble brag, but uh, it, I'd be doing the, uh, the listeners a disservice if I didn't admit that you're you are also my uh, my golf coach and helping <laughs> me sort out my swing. So you clearly have the patience of, of, of a saint that if you can work with someone like me, that's for sure. But so, um, so, so, so coaching, obviously I'm, I'm a business coach, but, uh, yeah. but, a, but a golf coach, you, you know, the skill sets and, and the diversity of abilities of, of people that, that you work with it, you know, it's tricky at the best times, but, but when did you know that you thought coaching might be the, the career for you? I, I always liked the idea of helping people get better at golf, even from an early age when I had no plans to even turn professional. Um, because I used to play with um, my stepdad's friends and they were always after tips. Oh, Trey, show me this, show me that. How can I hit this better? And then it kind of built from there, like helping people, seeing seeing a change uh, mainly from 
giving them a quick tip, seeing the ball fly completely different, then being amazed with that. And then it's kind of built from there. And then, yeah, it's only been recently, really, the last, say, two years where the coaching's really picked up. And I've kind of been in that mindset as, yeah, this is what I want to kind of real net net sticks nailed down and kind of get 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 good at this and improve my craft as well as I, as I as I'm doing it. It's oh, only really yeah recently yeah where I've kind of thought okay I can can get going good at this yeah. Now you said you're doing your your PGA qualifications is is that completed yet or are you still uh, um, working through that? Yeah. So yeah, I'm in my final year for that. Uh, I should actually get my results final year results this week so fingers crossed uh I'll get everything uh, passed for that but yeah I've done 3 years training um did exams for those may uh 2021 so this year and yeah like I said exam results for those uh, come this week so yeah pretty much uh hopefully I'll be a fully qualified PJ professional by the end of this week Oh, that's right and then what, what can you do with that accreditation is that this, I mean cuz that's going to be recognized all over the world I'm guessing yeah, so the PGA um, are recognised across the world. It just gives you basically a part of um, a big group of uh, golf professionals. And again, it's a bit of a buying point for players and uh, resorts and golf clubs around the world. Every golf club that you go to will usually have a PGA professional as the hub of their contact between kind of players, everybody that goes there and that plays golf. They're all connected to uh, to a PGA professional and there's there's a lot of different routes uh, now actually available for PGA pros, uh, overseas coaching, business. It's the list endless, really. So it's uh, it does give you that bit of a, I don't know, it gives you a bit of a edge really against the next person yeah. who possibly just a just a professional or somebody who's just turned professional, tried to play for a bit and then potentially took coaching up from there. So it's just a bit of an entry into uh, the world of golf, really. Oh, brilliant! Well. Focusing on the, the the professional side of it, you know, I want to talk yeah. about the the business side of it now, if we can, because one of one of the uh, big parts of of talking shrop is it's helping, you know, local business owners, you know, small business, well, business owners of any size, really, yeah. um, to you know, to learn things that can help them uh, with with their business and help them grow. And you told me something uh, a few weeks ago at, at, at one of our lessons that, that I thought was was really quite interesting. Um, if, if I can take you back, we talked about some of the uh, social media stuff you were yeah. doing, you know, yeah. and let's let's paint the picture that it's COVID. It's a pandemic. People can't yeah. go out. And your whole life livelihood, your, your profession is around yeah. working with individuals in yeah. close proximity. Yeah. Um, to, to help them, you know, improve it at, for, for what most of us is really a hobby, you know, yeah. let's, let's, let's be honest. So, you know, and, and as we learned during the, the pandemic, one of the first things to go was, you know, hobbies and, and, and yeah. things like that, because uh, people had to spend their time where they could. So, yeah. you know, what, walk us through one, the, the thought process of when the pandemic hit, what first went through your mind, um, yeah, yeah. as, as being, uh, you know, a golf coach and, you know, and how that evolved into the use of social media to, yeah. you know, generate, uh, you know, client, a client base during lockdown. Okay. So, um, when we were first locked down, um, was last year, uh, when we had all that good weather and we all stuck at home, um, I kind of tested the waters a little bit with kind of a couple of videos that I did just specifically for golf club members at Shrewsbury. Um, so that was kind of me kind of testing the water and just seeing, just keeping people busy and 
keeping myself relevant with kind of golf coaching and players that are at the golf club. So I kind of tested the water with that, did a couple of videos, uh, which went out in the newsletter, uh, real, real basic stuff, really. And then uh, I didn't really do much on top of that. It was very kind of very limited in terms of my knowledge for and the the power of social media really it was only really re- in the in the recent lockdown um kind of after christmas january 2021 um when we were locked down for another i think it was three months was it um yeah, so we, right. were, we were locked down again and then i really did think okay what can i do and how can i kind of make the most of my time stuck at home and how can i kind of elevate my myself um a little bit uh from where i was so then i started to kind of test the waters with my social media platforms posting content on there kind of daily and really interactive stuff so i did quizzes and things like that with people that are on there and i also set a couple of kind of targets and goals in terms of kind of followers my reach um how many people i want to interact with so i kind of i set some goals at the very start and i kind of said okay i want to be here in a month's time and i want to be here in two months time and it's just the more i did the more i was ticking off these little uh, little goals that i'd set myself so it really started with um just interaction getting getting people interacting with the content that i was posting so quizzes lots of i don't know if you've been on instagram you can see the slidey uh kind of widget things that you can add and you can see which things people vote for um and then off the back of that when we were coming towards the end of the lockdown um i kind of took it a little bit further and i actually set up um some youtube stuff so i started posting instructional content um to start off with on youtube um when we come out of the lockdown and that was a massive help uh, this year and it kind of opened my eyes up um in the way that i can actually provide instruction uh, to players and to people that I've never met before and uh, yeah it just kind of kind of built and built and built and then I'm at the point where I'm at now where it's a regular thing that I post try and post on YouTube at least once a week and Instagram's just almost become like not a chore but it's something that I just do naturally every day just to just to keep keep people interactive with with what I'm doing yeah you know what? Thank you for saying because there's there's a couple of things I I want to pick up on there, yeah. um, and, and and you know, like most people, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, with the exception of LinkedIn, yeah. um, and, and there's other platforms out there I know, but they're really more of a of a personal <clears throat> sort of thing. Yeah. You know, people don't think about it from the the professional, you know, yeah. concept. So I'm I'm really intrigued by the fact that you set goals around yeah. you know social media on, on what you wanted to achieve because I I, I I think that's that's fantastic and you know in my experience a lot of the conversations I have people are using it but they yeah. don't really know what they're trying to attain from yeah. it but you know <clears throat> you know going back to the first thing you know I guess you you had a a good sense of where to go because you started yeah. off in the first lockdown with a target targeted test audience so you know what yeah. was the feedback from that initial uh, if you can remember, and I, I appreciate it, it's 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 sometimes we forget these things that yeah. we learned along the way. But with yeah. your initial um, test audience with the, the club members, what was it that you learned that helped you facilitate some of those goals? Um, so going back to kind of last year, it was kind of um, what did I learn? It was more a case of kind of trying to provide something different that nobody else was doing. I saw a few people were posting things, a few of the kind of fellow 
professionals were posting a little bit online um, and I kind of wanted to just get into it and just test it really just to see um, the response and it kind of from a golf club perspective it was really well received as a lot of the members here were kind of unable to play they were kind of kind of itching <laughs> itching the toes really trying to actually get out and and do something so I just thought okay I'll have a go at this and test the war and and see what happens and the kind of initial response was um it was good I had quite a lot of good comments and people were kind of interested in the fact that they can actually do stuff at home it was more a case of the, the videos to start off with were based on what you could do at home. So in the garden or in the house to kind of get yourself ready to be playing again. So that was the, that was the initial uh, response really from, from people who were watching the, uh, the first couple of videos that I did. That is, okay. So again, a couple great bits of information you, you, you just gave there. Um, you looked around at what was out there. And, yeah. and you made it different because you focused on the needs at the time. So people yeah. had to practice their swing at home, uh, um, hopefully outside the house, not inside yeah. the house. Yeah. My ceilings aren't high enough for, for my <laughs> swing. Um, but but I, I think the other thing that was that was really great that you said is that um, it, it was helpful. Yeah. Um, you, you, you wanted it to be helpful. You wanted it to be valuable. You weren't just sharing for the for the sake of sharing. You, you recognized um, that there was a need for people to do something at home because yeah. that's the only place they could be. You wanted to be different from the other stuff that you saw. And I guess that fed in, fed into your goals and probably, yeah. you know, the, the knock on effect is like you said, it, it got you to a point where you're doing live videos on, yeah. on YouTube now. Yeah. No, yeah. It's a kind of frequent thing that I do now. Yeah. That's brilliant. So now your audience, how much has your audience grown since you started yeah, yeah, doing yeah. this and what has it done to your actual client base as a result of, of the efforts you put in during the pandemic. Yeah, so it's um, it's really helped, really. That I did an interest in, when I was setting the goals originally, it was more of an experiment. So I, what I tried to do, I tried to post daily for a whole month and just see how I how my page grew. Uh, so it's more. this was solely based on Instagram and then a little bit of Facebook as well. Um, so I did a little test and I kind of, documented um because on instagram you can see all uh the insights and things of your page and how many followers how many people actually go to your page how many people <clears throat> look at your posts and so i took a kind of a benchmark from that and then i reassessed it in a month and um the numbers were were very different uh, i've got them somewhere I'm, I'm sure i can find them um but yeah i really did grow in that first month just posting daily and then the more I posted um, following that, it was more of a case of, okay, I've seen that for a month. I've got to keep this going now and see where I can take it. And it's not to say that I'm completely huge now, but I'm a lot, uh, I've got a lot more following from where I was kind of at the start of January this year to where I am now. And it really has helped the teaching side of it as well and business in general because I'm this year of had multiple weeks where I've been fully booked and I've actually had to uh, kind of tell people that I haven't got any space in the week so I've never had that before and also from a perspective of who I've seen I've only recently started well this year started to see a lot more players come from elsewhere as well so I seem to be getting a lot more players come from all over the Midlands kind of part of Wales as well 
um, and a lot more kind of high-profile players as well this this year. So I, I think it's definitely has helped um, just having that uh, online presence. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me recap what you said there. So you weren't using you weren't using a lot with social media. No. Then you made a a commitment to do something every day. And I appreciate it feels like a chore some days. I, I, yeah, I know you're tracking your brain. What am I going to post? Yeah. I have to post something. Cause I said I would, yeah. um, but, but so, so, so you did, so you did that. So you built a following. Yeah. Now that following's expanded to people coming from Wales all over the West Midlands. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're fully booked from uh, yeah. coming, coming, coming out of a, of a pandemic. So maybe not every week, but there's, there's, you know, a lot of weeks where you're fully booked, which is great. Can, you know, consider, especially, I mean, the weather's, you know, who's getting here, the weather probably hasn't hurt us any either. Um, How much did all that social media um, posting and stuff, how much did that cost you? Um, Cost wise, it's more okay. Obviously the posts don't actually cost a thing. It's more a case of when I started to build up and focus on the YouTube side, it's more a case of, um, what did the equipment cost? So firstly, when I, well, firstly, I worked with a, one of my lessons, um, MF media, uh, one of my lessons called Marco. He has a business, uh, where he does a lot of videography, videography. So he videos and edits a load of videos and things like that. So it did start off. He was kind of the guy who pointed me in the direction as to what equipment do I need, what do I need to make these videos the best as possible to just get started as a basis. Yeah. Um, so the first thing, I had some advice off him. Um, so the first thing that I tackled was audio, really. The first thing I got was a microphone. So I had to get a, a good quality uh, Bluetooth wireless microphone. The first cost was of that was £170. So that was for um, just good audio. And okay. then the the actual picture just came from my phone. So um, I'm able to record in up to 4K on my phone. And I've only just recently actually purchased a camera on top of that. But that's more a case of um, just for other purposes. So I don't have to use my phone and run the battery flat on that when I decide to sure. do a video. Um, so so how, yeah. much, how much was the camera, if you don't mind uh, me asking? The camera that I've recently bought was 379. Okay, that's a that's a GoPro Hero Nine, their latest uh, latest camera. Um, and then the next thing I had to buy once I've actually managed to, so I've got the video, I've got the audio good. The next thing I had to buy from there was um, some software to actually edit the videos. So I managed to. This actually came more recently. So I had a laptop. Um, and I was ended up. I ended up using a free video editor called Shotcut, which was a really good tool. Um, but my laptop was kind of not quite power. It was okay, but not quite powerful enough to kind of edit and make the videos that I wanted to make. So I ended up upgrading the laptop to a MacBook, and then I bought some software um, which tied in with Apple software. So the laptop, I bought a MacBook Air, and that came to just under a thousand pounds and then i bought some software i actually got a really good deal on the software because i was still classed as a student so i managed to get um five pieces of uh their best apples uh, apple's best software for what did that come to that came to 200 pounds okay 
and that has five pieces of kind of video, audio, um, that type of software. Okay. That kind of set me up. Uh, so I kind of just built on it, really. I didn't dive straight into buying all that stuff just um, for the sake of it. I kind of started with the audio because that needed to be good. And then I started to get a few kind of subscribers, and then I thought, okay, this is working. Okay, I need to get some better stuff. And then I just built off it from there and built it up, really. And, and, and that's, that's very good advice. I think you, you know, you didn't go out, you didn't no. invest in hopes, no. you know, so, so you, you've, you've not bought, um, you know, just quick math there, somewhere around 1,700 pounds worth of, of equipment yeah. on the hopes that you're going to get business. No. You've got a full book of business and yeah. now you want to evolve your brand. So you've invested, yeah. you, now yeah. you've invested in, in the hardware and the software. And I, I think that's, yeah. that's absolutely brilliant. You know, yeah. you know, one, one bit of advice for everybody else that, that's listening, if, if you haven't already, you know, check out some of the um, grants that are available through the, your, your local council because they fund a lot of equipment. You know, there's a lot of um, it and equipment grants and things like that. So um, I wish we would have spoken probably, you know, be, before you, you did some of this because, you know, the MacBook Air, we probably could have got you quite a bit of bit of money towards. Yeah, um, that's a big chunk of it, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, that that's that's probably, unfortunately, you know, it, advice after the horse is bolted. But, yeah. uh, but, but it doesn't sound like it's, you know, if you've got a full book of business, yeah. everything you're doing is 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 working, you know. Yeah. And I guess bar the the time commitment going forward now that's really the only cost you have going forward. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm set up now. Um, so I've, it's just a case of me putting the, the time in and the hours in and actually making some content and keeping it, keeping the channel and, and the business growing really. Um, yeah. 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 So what, what advice would you give? So I, I don't use Instagram. No. Um, I don't use Facebook for business. I only use LinkedIn, uh, I guess as a management consultant, that's probably uh, yeah. a better market for me, but say I was, I don't know, maybe a, a baker or somebody that had a lot more like yourself, direct interaction with, with the public through their, their hub. You know, what, what would be two or three bits of advice you would give um, to, to them to help them build up a, a network and a presence in the way you have? Uh, yeah, uh, firstly, I'd just suggest to definitely have some online presence because in this day and age, everybody's got a smartphone, everybody's got an Instagram account, everybody's got a Facebook account. Um it's really, it's just interacting with um, people online. It really does help. I think to start off with, it seems like um, it might seem like, oh, this isn't doing anything. But if you stay consistent with it and yeah, just keep keep going with it, it'll definitely start to build up and you'll definitely see a difference in kind of the people that actually come to visit you and the market really. It just, it just all expands itself and, and gets a little bit bigger and, yeah, I didn't think to start off with when I first started, um, kind of mainly focusing on Instagram and Facebook. I had I didn't have many followers. I think I had one, one, 100 to 200 followers. And I'd also just set yourself a benchmark, see where you're at. And just like I said, set some goals as well to, to kind of keep yourself on track. And uh, yeah, if it doesn't happen straight away, it's the consistency of doing something. It's so easy to do something for a week because I've, been I, i've done that as well i've posted consistently for three or four days and then kind of got bored of it and then stopped and then picked up again i think yeah. people like having that consistent flow of content so i'd stay consistent with it and 
just watch it grow. It doesn't have to happen straight away. It will definitely happen if you stay consistent with it. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then another question. So, you know, converting that presence into money in your pocket, you know, how, how, how does that work? How does that, you've got a brand now you've got a bigger following. It's not just online, but geographically, as, as you said earlier, you know, how, how do you convert that to, you know, fee paying clients? Yeah, I suppose it's a case of actually getting people through the through the door. So what I actually did, um, a lot of lessons actually messaged me through uh, the online platforms and said, oh, I've seen your videos, I like what you're doing, uh, kind of book a lesson, et cetera, et cetera. So it, just by having that presence online, it will encourage people just to drop you a message and also just make yourself approachable. Don't seem like... Um, you want that interaction with people. Um, so I just I just replied to absolutely everybody that messaged me a good video or can I book or what's what's prices, etc. Um so I just replied to absolutely everyone, made myself really available to talk. And kind of the last thing, um, really, maybe run some I, I ran a few competitions for free lessons. So when majors were on, uh, for example, the masters i run a competition uh where i basically got people that are online to tag free friends share the post and like the posts and then you're entered into a draw to possibly win win a free lesson um and then i kind of that 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 was took up really well um and then i got the person who won the lesson in for his lesson and then they ended up booking more lessons in. So by offering something free, you've actually ended up um, better off because you've got that customer now. And now that customer's coming back every two weeks for lessons and you've only offered him, you've given him a free 30-minute lesson and he's ended up coming back for, for five more. So it just helps uh, helps things things uh, elevate from there, really. That's that's absolutely brilliant. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to recap and, and, and you know let me know if, if I've got this wrong. So you ran a competition to create a bit of buzz, which yeah. if nothing else was going to, you know, promote yeah. the brand, you know, and, yeah. and boost the brand, but obviously you got a, a paying client out, which was brilliant. Yeah. Um, responding, you respond to, to everything and you respond yeah. quickly. Yeah. I try and reply as well, if I'm not coaching out there for hours, I try and reply as quickly as possible. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. I, I think that's one thing that, you know, I must admit, I also hear that people set aside a time on, you know, from three, three, three to four, three to four on, on Friday afternoon. That's when I'm going to respond to my emails or my social media or things like that. But, but yeah. I think you're right. You know, if you can respond within, you know, sometimes five to 10 minutes, that's amazing. But if you can respond definitely within an hour or two, yeah. it just keeps that dialogue fresh absolutely, um, yeah. and, 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 and the mind, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and it makes people think like you actually um, care about your customers, that you're not just uh, just ignoring people as well. You know, I I think there's been a lot of good advice that has come out of this. And, it, 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 you know, dare I say, you figured a lot of this out on your own. And now I know you had some help with the, you know, the video and the equipment and yeah. stuff to do on, on that. But um, I, I think, if anything that we've learned, the power of social media during the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, that's where people are spending their time now. Yeah, I think the desire to get to know people through that platform, people are much more accepting of that than maybe they were 2018, 2017, you know, and and, and something you said that by, you know, the way you respond to everything, Mm -hmm. you kind of start building that trust factor a little bit, don't you? 
Yeah. You know, yeah. through, through, through the platform, because, because you're posting stuff all the time, people get to know you. Yeah. Um, they get to know what you look like, the sound of your voice, they get to watch you do stuff. And, and I, I think that's phenomenally important, you know, and, and you're, you're the proofs in the pudding. I think people kind of buy into that personal side that almost like they know you. Um, yeah. They definitely buy into that as opposed to if you're kind of not accessible and you're almost keep yourself afar from people as opposed to welcoming everyone. They kind of buy into that um, personal side of you as well. Oh, which and there's, which, actually, there's exactly. actually a few people which came up to me and said, I end up having lessons with you over the next person because you seem like you actually care and you actually care about that individual, my golf as well. So it's just offering something extra that the next person doesn't. Yeah, well, you know what? From a personal, you know, perspective, I think we've had three or four lessons together yeah. now. Maybe, maybe more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I'm, I'm I'm the best at maths, but at least three or four. Um, and I think the one thing that I notice about you is is, is you know forget your abilities and and, and your knowledge. Um, it's just a really good half hour, an hour. You're good company. You're good conversation. You're you, you do genuinely care, and you you do focus on the individual. You never you know, uh, you never seem distracted. It, it's, it's brilliant. And I have to admit, I've had three other coaches previously and, and you're number one by, by far, right. by far. And, and it is, it, it's, it's just, it's just what you said. You, you truly care. Um, you're, you're results oriented. So you want to see me get better. I guess the worst thing, you know, if I'm playing with somebody who needs lessons and I'm having the worst round of my life, they're going to think, Oh my God, what's this guy doing? <laughs> That's a good advert. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, I, I think, you know, complete compliments to you, you know, compliments Thanks. again for everything you did during lockdown um, to come out and put yourself in, in the position, you know, professionally, you know, obviously you worked on your qualifications, you worked on your, you know, presence online and, and, and it's paying dividends, you know, you're, you're, you're fully booked. Um, yeah, yeah. so just for, for folks that, that, that don't know, Trey, where, where can they find you? Is it just Trey Nevin? You can, can you spell yes. it out for us? Where, how would we find uh, you on Instagram? It's Trey Nevin PGA on everything, pretty much on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Trey Nevin, T-R-E-Y-N-I-V-E-N and then letters PGA. So Trey Nevin PGA on everything on YouTube as well. Yeah. That's absolutely brilliant. That's absolutely, well, listen, I don't want to take any more of your time because I know you actually have a lesson in 10 minutes. So I will let you go and, uh, and prepare for that. But listen, thank you so much for setting aside some time to, to talk yeah. shop with us. Um, yes. We wish you all the best. And I think I need to get back to you for another lesson in the next two or three weeks. But <laughs> yeah, great, we'll thank you so much for your time. And no we hope problem. to see you soon. Yeah, that's great. No problem at all, Shane. Thank you very much. Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website, that's intune-radio.co.uk. Right, today I have got Lynn Foley here from Crane Counselling. Hi, Lynn, lovely to have you with us. Hi. So, Crane Counselling is um, a counselling service which is at the Roy Fletcher Centre in Shrewsbury. Can you tell us a bit about it? It started in, um, officially started in January 2017, Um, but the idea uh, was born um, in October 2016 when um, quite a large major 
national charity, relationship charity, closed its doors um, in Shropshire. And uh, I'd actually worked previously for this organisation uh, for 23 years. And some of my ex-colleagues came to me and said, what about starting up a new charity, which was, wow, this is going to be a biggie. Um, but we did. And there were four of us. And we started in the January 2017. And uh, we managed to um, acquire our offices in the Roy Fletcher Centre the following year, towards the end of 1718, and start counselling then. So the first few months we're dealing with um, setting up constitutions and policies and all those things that have to be in place, um, becoming a charity, and then off we went. So the name Crane Counselling, now I know there's a good story behind this as to why it is Crane Counselling. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, um, well, as I mentioned earlier in my previous previous life, um, I've done charity fundraising for many, many years. I've always organised concerts at places like Theatre 7 and other major theatres um, across the country for various charities. And during that time, I was fortunate, obviously, in meeting lots of the 60s bands, which are still active and on the road and performing. And one of those bands was the Mersey Beats. And the uh, lead singer in the Mersey Beats is um, a gentleman by the name of Tony Crane. And uh, just in general conversation, really, I told him that I'd left the previous organisation And then, obviously, he found out that that organisation had closed. And he phoned me and he said, what are you going to do? You can't leave all these families across Shropshire without any support. And so I said, well, will you help? And he said, yes, of course I will. Uh, You can use my name and I'll be your patron. And I have to say, um, we've been around now nearly five years and he's very, very supportive Um, always keeps in touch during lockdown kept in touch is everybody okay so yeah absolutely um, really top class support and they still play concerts for us absolutely fantastic have they got any uh, concerts they're doing for you coming up at all yes we've got one booked Um, unfortunately we couldn't get a date at our local theatre but we have got one on Wednesday the 1st of September at the Floral Pavilion in New Brighton. Mm-hmm. So anyone wanting to go, we are hoping to put a coach on from Shrewsbury. Um, so you just have, have to ring Crane to book onto that. Um, so, yeah, and at that concert, obviously, we have the Mersey Beats and we have for the Swinging Blue Jeans. Oh, fantastic. Now, they are yes, really popular, um, aren't they? That's right. So, yes, and um, they both bands do... Um, help the charity uh, financially Hmm. um, with their performance. And so, yeah, we're hoping to start some fundraising again. That's brilliant. So, uh, yeah, so you said there's a coach going from Shrewsbury. So, uh, yeah. right, we'll we'll can uh, put a link on our, our website and uh, yes. uh, you know yeah, get, get your coach yes. pool going. That's, That's brilliant. Right. Absolutely. So, back to the actual uh, service that you offer. Um, so, crane counselling is for family uh, relationship counselling. Yes, right across the board. So, it's for um, 
the, the core family, which mm. is obviously mum, dad and children. Mm. Um, but it spreads out to siblings, parents, grandparents, um, and also to the wider circle of very close friends. Yeah. Because um, obviously we don't always, always get on with our friends at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So it's it's all about how um, help there to help families when difficult times come. Mm-hmm. And obviously the last 18 months, we've had a lot of difficult family times to, to cope with. Absolutely. And have you managed to you know, carry on with the service through lockdown with, with sort of Zoom consultations and that sort of thing? Yeah. Yes. Um, when we were told, um, having to obviously go on the first, very first lockdown, um, at that time, we'd only got six counsellors working with Crane um, and myself and another couple of volunteers in the office. So I just picked up the office and brought it home. And I ran the service from home. And yes, we were offering telephone or Zoom counselling. And in fact, still are, mm. as well as face-to-face again now, simply because it has worked quite well for a lot of people, for older people who just aren't able, for whatever reason, to come in or live in a remote part of Shropshire, um, to be able to see their counsellor and talk to them through Zoom has been, you know, a great way of working. And uh, the counsellors obviously can be more flexible and offer more appointments because they're home-based and they can fit things in around their lifestyle. So, yes, so um, it's been extremely busy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it has. And um, if you, I was going to say, if somebody decides that they they feel that they need counselling, what is the first step? What should they do? Make that brave decision and pick up the telephone mm-hmm. um, or call at the office. But the majority of people pick up um, the telephone. Some people go into um, one of our charity shops. We've got two charity shops and they go in there and there's always literature leaflet. And they go in and pick a leaflet up to get the phone number, obviously. Yep. And sometimes they do ask in the shop, you know, what happens I think that's more of an informal way of finding out. So all our volunteers are trained to know what the process is. But, yeah, so they they just have to pick the telephone up. And um, we're, one of us in the office is there to, to chat to them, to talk them through the process of what will happen and how it will happen. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that conversation, often they're, desperate to tell you what their problem is Hmm. Um, and we just have to say you know we're not trained counsellors but you're if you come get in have an appointment with us whether it's zoom or whether it's coming in you will have that opportunity to tell your story to Hmm. the counsellor that's what the counsellor's there for Mm -hmm. and then we just have to take some very brief details from them on, on the telephone and book them an appointment and the first appointment they have is an assessment appointment. Yeah, it's an assessment appointment. So it's not a counselling appointment. It's literally what it says it is. It gives them the opportunity to tell their story mm-hmm. to the counsellor, for the counsellor to assess their mental health needs, if that's required, and sometimes to say to them, yes, we can see you, but we would also like you 
to go and see your GP. Um, you know, that might be helpful because, you know, you're quite anxious at the moment. Um, or maybe to, to talk to someone else. Uh, we may not be the appropriate agency when they start to tell you that in the assessments to tell their story because we're not all things to all people. So if that becomes evidence, then obviously we recommend they go to someone else. We'll always phone up to somewhere else for them while they're there and say we've got someone here who perhaps would be better suited to come to your agency. But the important thing for us is to ensure that they have their assessment and then they start their counselling as quickly as possible. Because um, when they phone us is when they need help. Um, and we don't want them to wait and the problem to get worse. Exactly. Um, we... So do they get a, a, um, an assessment appointment quite quickly then once they have actually uh, made that yes, initial call? Yes, yeah, within seven days of that first call, um, less than seven days usually, but we always say seven days to safeguard ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, they get that assessment done, and that's with a very experienced... We've got several counsellors who are very experienced, and they do the assessments. Hmm. And then the assessment, they suggest who they feel would be the best counsellor to allocate the case to who would be best suited to that particular person yeah um, you know and we always say do you want a male counsellor a female counsellor you know they're given loads of options so and then they start their counselling uh, usually on a weekly basis mm-hmm. and then sometimes uh, we move it on to fortnightly to see how they can cope that little bit of extra time and then maybe monthly and, of course, they're always told when they finish, the door's always open. So if things start to go wrong again, all you have to do is just pick up that phone and we're here again. That is so fantastic. As you, you saying that from somebody getting the courage to pick up that phone and call you, that somebody is going to be available to talk to them about that within seven days. I just think that's a fantastic service. Yeah, that on its own is wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we, you know, aim to do. And I suppose, you know, we are getting busier and busier now. And um, as of yesterday, we're we're now up to twenty councillors, so we've grown very rapidly. But that's because of the level of service that is coming our way at the moment. Mm. And again, you know, I I I don't believe in leaving and saying, well, we're short of councillors. We're not short of councillors. We can find, we can advertise Mm. and get more councillors to start with us. So, yeah, so it's sort of like a rolling rolling progression, really. Oh, it's fantastic. And for somebody who's never had counselling or they've they've sort of thought, oh, I don't know if that's for me, um, can you reassure them that, uh, you know, that no one's going to be judging them? You know, if you go for counselling, it's not as if you're sitting in front of a judge who's going to be telling you the right and wrong thing to do or that 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 your problem is is, you know, that they don't approve. It really is a very non-judgmental service. Yes. Yeah. And uh yeah, we're not there to judge people, even, you know, on a personal level, sometimes you'll think. But then often if if someone is in real problems. Um, a lot of people's problems go back to their childhood mm. and they've picked up 
um, habits and traces through their life from being a child. It might have been something that started um, in their school days. Um, and that's what the counsellor does. The counsellor will listen to the current situation, but then they will say, well, let's go back a little bit. So tell me, you know, what, what you used to do, what work did you do and friends and school and uh, your relationship with parents and siblings. And, um, and I suppose working in on the administrative side, we see clients coming and going. And it's so interesting that after two or three sessions, they come out of the counselling room and book their next appointment. And you can tell by their face that the electric light has come on. And they've suddenly seen probably quite a simple resolution to what's become a mammoth problem because the counsellors explored so many areas with them and then suddenly the light clicks on and yes you know that's yeah and it's absolutely fascinating to to see that and um yeah I mean we're all nice people there and I I always say to them you know you'll be absolutely fine sometimes they say oh will you be there and I'll say yes I'll look out for you and say hello and so it's it's a nice place to come and it's the it's lovely accommodation and uh, we had um, a young person in yesterday and she hadn't been in before because she's been having some zoom sessions but now we're back um in, in working in the office and she came in and she said as she came out she spoke to me and she said isn't it lovely here it's got a lovely atmosphere mm. and that was somebody who's you know quite young mm. well yeah young teenager mm. Mm. so yeah and so people relax and um yeah and I, I think the one thing to flag up, um, and this has always been the case for as long as I've worked in the sector, which is over 30 years, we see so, so many more females than males. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's men find it quite hard mm. to come and pour out their feelings. And um, But, you know, we've got male counsellors, so... You, Men can come and have a man-to-man chat. Yeah, um, they don't have to sit there with uh, a female. Some men who do come say, "Oh yes, I want a female counsellor." So, <laughs> um, you know, and you have that choice as well. You know, you can choose a man or a woman. Yeah. Um, some say, "Can I have an older person?" Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, and now we've got the young people's service, which is relatively new we've started working out in some schools right Uh, yeah so that started before lockdown and we're in two of the secondary schools in the town at the moment Mm -hmm. and that's going really well we have a counsellor who's specially trained and they go out into the schools and do one morning a week. And that works really as really well as well because I know there's lots of pastoral support in schools, but the, the students actually say to us, you come into the school and you see us and then you leave. And I think they feel safer. I'm not saying that all the teachers chat 
that amongst themselves at all. But I think the young people feel safer to disclose often quite difficult things that are going on maybe at home um, or or with their own sexuality Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, And they feel safe because they see the counsellor go and all their paperwork go with her. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing in the school. And so, yeah, so we're quite busy with those schools and we've got a third school coming on uh, in September Um, And we've also as well been very fortunate in securing um, a COVID bereavement contract, uh, being one of the partners with Shropshire Council. Mm -hmm. So that started during uh, the first lockdown, towards the end of the first lockdown, when I think Shropshire Council realised that there were so I mean, obviously Shropshire was not as bad as many places, um, but they realised there were so many deaths. And I think the spin-off from that has been that other recent deaths within the family of family or friends that maybe was two years ago was brought to the surface mm. through COVID and people were really realising that they hadn't grieved for that person. They just weren't in lockdown at that time. They carried on with work and their life and their family and they hadn't stopped. And and so the contract uh, encompasses that as well. Um, And so that's really busy. And and that's a number that I can give you. Mm -hmm. And I would say people, phone that number. You have um, the choice of four voluntary sector organisations, Crane being one of them, Samaritans, the hospice and crews. And you can choose which agency you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yes, we get lots of referrals, but they're all sort of started within 48 hours of coming to us. So, And they get six free counselling appointments. Right. I was actually going to ask, that: um, is there a cost to this? Some people listening might be thinking, oh, I'd love to do that, but I bet it's expensive. I won't even look into it. Well, again, you see, I mean, I firmly believe we are a charity and yes, we have costs Mm -hmm. and our our counsellors are quite expensive commodities Mm -hmm. um, because they have to have lots of ongoing training all the time um, and they have to be registered with our professional body, the BACP, and they have to have a high level of um, supervision with our practice consultant mm-hmm. and they have to have a building to work in and they have to have us to support them so they they don't come free of charge no they, they actually don't get paid um, the majority of us don't get paid at Crane um, we work as volunteers and um, so yes yeah, so we we say to people and it's in our literature that a counselling um, session costs us £45. Mm-hmm. And putting all those costs together, that is what it costs. Mm-hmm. But we all people say, so how much will it be? And we say £45 is what we like to ask for. Yeah. But we don't want you not to come because you can't afford it. And we're very aware in the current situation that lots and lots of people are financially struggling and there's going to be a lot more possibly when furlough finishes who are going to be struggling. And so we we say to them, 
how much can you afford? Yeah. And some people say £30 and some say £10. And, and that's fine because what we do is the money that we raise from our concerts and from our charity shops goes into a bursary fund. And so at the end of each month, to balance the books, mm-hmm. we money from our bursary pot so yeah if anyone's out there who's got a burning desire to either do a fundraising event for us and raise some money for our bursary um or even just make a donation to crane that money would go in that bursary pot and would support people who couldn't afford right that's fantastic and talking about the shops you say you've got two shops did you say yes we've got one well one's in shrewsbury yeah um that's down model mm-hmm. um, and it's um, a second-hand furniture shop. Right. We don't do clothes. Um, so it's furniture and household items and soft furnishings, bric-a-brac. And that's, um, yeah, it does extremely well. Our manager, Richard, um, runs it mm-hmm. extremely well. Um, and he recruits a team of volunteers to help him. And we do a free collection service of stock. And we do charge a little bit for delivery if we sell something. Yes, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then our second shop, well, I say shops, is in Cheshire. Oh, right. Um, Again, partly because of our patron living in Cheshire. Yes. So we said we'll have a shop. And you can sort of boost that one. Um, and um, so it's in Northwich. Mm-hmm. And that's a two-storey shop. And we have um, fashion upstairs and furniture and household downstairs. Mm-hmm. And we have two managers there. Sam runs the furniture shop and Dawn and Marie run the fashion shop upstairs. Um, so yeah and they're excellent and they have lovely people who are going to help um, and they raise lots and lots of money for us which is perfect absolutely fantastic well thank you so much Lynn I have really really enjoyed chatting to you today and finding out more about the crane counselling service in Shrewsbury uh, for obviously for Shropshire Um, and so anybody that wants to uh, help raise money they can go to the shops or they can also um, look into going to the concert with um, the Mersey Beats and the Swinging Blue Jeans uh, up in Merseyside and uh, thank you so much again Lynn yeah, thank you. Could I give you some numbers? Of course you can. Yes, go ahead. Yes, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So um, the number for the um, counselling suite in Shrewsbury is 01743 mm-hmm. And the shops obviously have got their own numbers. Um, but if you Google our website, you can find the numbers for those. And the important number for Shropshire Council... Um, for people to be able to access that, those six free counselling sessions. Yes. It's quite a long number. Um, 03456789028. And you will have to press, I think it's uh, button one, mm-hmm. and you will be then put through to a call handler who are all lovely, lovely mm-hmm. team, and they'll help you straight away and send a referral through to Crane, hopefully. But if you want to go to one of the other agencies, that's your choice. 
That is a wonderful service. I shall be putting that number on our Facebook page for you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thanks very much. Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website, that's intune-radio.co.uk. Now, the next song we've got is by Modesty Blue. Uh, this is called Time of Your Life. And I feel it's got a bit of a Stock Aitken and Waterman sort of influence to it. But 80s, but it's really upbeat. I really enjoy listening to this and hope you do too. So, Darren, that's it. That's the last, as we would call it, 
Intune Radio Shropshire Business with Beats podcast. It because is, we're not yes. going to be podcasting as such next. We're going to be broadcasting 24-7. I know. I never, ever, never thought we'd be doing this. But small acorns, big trees grow and all that. And, uh, <laughs> the big, t- <laughs> yeah, the big tree of Intune proper radio is just around the corner. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we, we've got to thank everybody that has mm-hmm. helped us on our journey. Obviously, all of the Intuners that come on board, new presenters that are contacting us through social media, you know, it's just phenomenal. And of course, all of this that we're doing is for the people of Shropshire, the charities, the businesses and the community. It's about us all coming together and creating a station that we should be incredibly proud of. And we welcome people to contact us through intune-radio.co.uk and to find out more, to find out what's happening and to be one of the first to listen to 24-7 radio broadcast. Follow us on our social media, Facebook and LinkedIn. Absolutely, absolutely. So... Without further ado, we'd better say cheerio to everyone. Thank you so much for listening to us. And we look forward to, um, well, you listening to us in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Intune Radio have a host of advertising and sponsorship packages available. To find out more, contact us at info at intune-radio.co.uk or find out more on our website, that's intune-radio.co.uk.